Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, plants and animals and machines alike, thank you for joining us today. This is the second installment of Matt the Back Lovato and Keith the Bone Catrone for the Back and Bone Show. Today, uh, we are going to get pretty deep into some mixed martial arts talk, a lot of our perspectives on what's going on in the world right now with that, and we get into a lot of fitness information, um, not just fitness physically, but philosophically, um, ways to look at what you're doing as you're training and developing your body, um, supplements or rather the myth of supplements, um, performance enhancing drugs and all that. And what, the competition world is really like, but that's going to be about the first hour. So if that's not really your thing, go ahead and skip ahead because we we make a note of it on about an hour and we uh, we shift gears and we we're going to get into some more media topics, talking about some horror movies. We got a whole stint on John Carpenter, which you know if you're listening to us and you're still listening, you probably share the same view on John Carpenter we do. He's one of the greats. Um, as we go, we're going to get into, um, what we expect from the horror movie world and a little bit of, uh, current events on the Marvel comic book universe when we, uh, get to about the end there. So if you guys are curious what's going on in Iron Man's world, which I know I am, stay tuned. Uh, also... Uh, a big note that I'd like to make is that Matt and I are not experts in every topic we talk about. We are just a couple dudes who are uh, giving our our analytical rundown of what we have an interest in. So if you hear some stuff in here that you uh, you disagree with or you know otherwise, give us a comment. Let us know what you're uh, what you're picking up on. We want to hear what we're doing wrong. We want to hear what you guys have to say about us. These two stupid fucking white guys. The fuck is their problem? What what do they what do they think you're talking about? Telling telling me what's happening in the Marvel comic universe? No, I'm not telling you. I'm telling you what I read, and I want to hear what you read. So let's all meet in the middle. Let's be friends. And once again, welcome to the show. Turns all your bad feelings into good feelings. It's a nightmare. Whatever you're reaching for better be a sandwich because you're going to have to eat it. And Uzi, I'm not from South Central Los fucking Angeles. I didn't come here to shoot 20 black 10-year-olds in a fucking drive-by. I want a normal gun for a normal person. He thought he was white before. He's a sweet-ass fucking man. I'll use small words that you'll be sure to understand. All right, welcome back, everyone, for the second edition of Back and Bone, which is going to be our working title we're going with today. Back and Bone, part two, back in action. <laughs> bone in action. <laughs> anyway, so uh, it's been a couple weeks since uh, we last got together. Uh, it was a... It was a it was a minimal but pleasant success. Everyone uh, who listened to it gave us some good feedback. 
thanks for joining us again today. Critic, so, critics were raving that Matt and Keith's uh, podcast, Volume 1, was heartfelt, touching. Uh, five out of five stars. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's in the early running for... If they had a Oscar Awards for podcasts, it would certainly be the top contender. It's the Oscasts. We're the um, Daniel Day-Lewis of podcasts. We, together, make one <laughs> Daniel Day-Lewis... <laughs> one, one perfect specimen. So, so here's a, here's the thing. I, I noticed you got some uh, some fight news and stuff up. You're an MMA yes. junkie on here. Yes. Uh, this happened a while ago, and mm -hmm. I never saw it until uh, the other night. Did you? <laughs> Do you happen to catch Dave Bati Dave Batista's MMA fight when he had that? Yeah, he fought uh, that big old. I'm fat pretty sure dude. he fought Scott Coker. That was what <laughs> that was my immediate <laughs> thought. For those of you who don't know, Scott Coker is the former CEO of Strikeforce, current CEO of Bellator, um, and and he <laughs> is like, I, I want to say he's five foot two. <laughs> <laughs> 340 pounds like yeah the guy that dave bautista fought and i'll look this up right now i can't remember the dude's name i, I have it written down somewhere are you sitting on my notes I, by I chance might be uh no i thought i said him there make sure you get your spot back we don't want to get any distortion the, on the mic the guy the guy that dave bautista fought is just a uh vince lucero vince lucero yeah yes he doesn't vince lucero does not have a wikipedia page so uh, I'm assuming he's not a very highly touted well, opponent. Well, they they did say that he uh, had something like 40 plus professional fights. Uh, I don't know that that's true. <laughs> By looking at him, I would say no. But no. you know what? Was that the official or the unofficial record? Was that the uh, that was what Joe was that the Hicks yeah. and Gracie 500 no record? No, no. Or was that the uh... that, that's what Joe Lozon was saying when he was doing fucking commentary, which was pretty funny. Wait, Joe? They had Joe Lozon. Yeah, Joe on Lozon commentary? was the guy. Well, he wasn't on commentary. He was the interviewer. Oh, okay. So. What I thought was really interesting about that is, like, Dave Batista has been training mixed martial arts for a while. He's a very athletic guy. He's a very big, powerful monster of a human being. And this blob of a man almost took him out. Like, <laughs> he, uh, he did. He was, he was throwing short shots. He was weighing down on him in the cage. And he was even taunting him at one point. It was real funny. All right. But, you know, Dave Batista. You know, Dave Bautista's martial arts background, I don't know how legit that is. It's kind of <laughs> like, you know, like CM Punk, like supposedly having a fucking karate background or jujitsu background or whatever. Uh, I kind of feel like Dave Bautista falls into the same category as that. I've, I've been following, I'm a huge pro wrestling fan. I've been following it for a long time. And the only video evidence I saw of Dave Bautista practicing any martial arts prior to his fight with Vince Lucero was him doing some like uh, what's the Filipino stick fighting Kali uh, Kali him practicing Kali because Dave Bautista is actually Filipino which is I find it pretty He's fascinating in itself biggest Filipino <laughs> man the I've most ever massive seen in my entire life Filipino I've ever seen um, so I'm on sure dog and I just pulled out Vince Lucero's record He's six foot two, three hundred pounds, age forty six. He, by the way, I just want to point out that Vince Lucero was not held accountable to make weight for the heavyweight <laughs> cap. No, he weighed this, in at three hundred, and they were just fucking cool with it. Yeah, this was, was a su he's a super heavyweight. Yeah, um, and for those of you who don't know, anybody who's a super heavyweight 
most of the time, this isn't always the case, but most of the time they're just too lazy to like make the 265 pound mm. limit. Don't get me wrong. There are some legitimate super heavyweights out there like a Bob Sapp or somebody yeah. like that who's just really that big of a dude. Um, most of them are just really big fat guys. And that's why you don't see a super heavyweight division in the UFC. Um, there just these, isn't these dudes a, would gas out in there, like you there, know two minutes. There just isn't enough uh, justifiable competition in that. Yeah, there's not. It's it's kind of like uh, the same reason. It's really hard to find. Um, you know, like if they had a 115 pound division, it, yeah. it's hard to find really really small guys, but it's also hard to find really really big guys. And we just pulled up a picture of Vince Lucero, and yeah, Keith is right. Absolutely, this guy is Scott Coker's doppelganger. He looks just <laughs> like him. And on top of that, he has a record of a whopping 22 wins and 25 losses. Which now, I, I would say, as an inexperienced fighter with a good background in, in competition overall with wrestling and everything, um, a record like that is what I like to call an ugly record. It's an and, ugly record, yeah you, yeah. you don't want to fight someone with an ugly record. Now, he, he does have some dudes who... Uh, He's got some big names that he's... I saw he's, Roy Nelson on there. Yeah, he, he's got some big names yeah. <laughs> that he's lost to. There's uh, Soa, uh, Palele, uh, yeah, Roy Nelson, Brad Imes. LeVar Johnson, is that Johnson, someone? Yeah. yeah. Tim Who Sylvia. <laughs> Tim Sylvia, wow. Eddie Sanchez. Ron Sparks. Ron Sparks. <laughs> Tim Haig. Who, Tim Haig, he, he's the one, he died. Yeah, Tim Haig died. He's yeah. the one who, uh, Todd Duffy got his... Uh, got his his uh, he, he cut his teeth on on that fight with the uh, fast knockout, the jab. Yeah, with Tim Haig. Yeah, that was his highlight reel yeah. one. Yeah, Tim Haig. That that's a really sad story. Actually, he died. He had a uh, boxing match, and I think it was it was in a different country. I think, um, but uh, he had a boxing match, and then he uh, he got knocked out. He got. I think he got. I don't. I don't remember it being like a brutal KO. I think he got TKO'd in the fight, and then uh, he ended up dying like a couple days later, mm -hmm. or a day later, or something like that. Really I vaguely sad. remember that story. I knew he was dead. I, I yeah, the the details surrounding it kind of uh, eluded me. Yeah. Well, in any case, uh, Dave Bautista uh, looked like shit in his uh, <laughs> mixed martial hey, arts his, debut. Uh, his his uh, takedown that he got him was actually pretty clean. Not yeah. that there was anything really stopping it <laughs> yeah, that's from being what I was a perfectly say. clean takedown. Like there was like <laughs> there was no resistance. But I want to give him. I, it was like it was like if you see someone drilling a, uh, a, a like a an outside single, and he just did this like beautiful, right. perfect like inline inline shot to an outside single, and then just took him down. It was like that was real clean, Batista. Well, but well, he this, was, this he was, was feeding that to you. This was very much Dave Batista's. You know, I don't think uh, Dave Bautista seems like a pretty self-aware dude, and mm. I've seen interviews with him before where they've asked him, you know, would you ever fight Brock Lesnar? And I'm, I, from what I remember, he was pretty honest. He was like, "Well, yeah, of course I would to get the payday," but he was, he, I don't think he, I think he was very self-aware. Like he didn't necessarily give himself a chance. Yeah. You know, he knows he, better. He was, he was pretty cool in his interview after this fight. I remember him being very just like, like you said, self-aware is a good way of putting it. Yeah, he, he was like. He was like, "Ah, oh, man, I let the nerves get to me. You know, this is really, this is really intense. I, I, I don't think I. It's like I, I was ready for it. The training camp was good. I just got really nervous when I got in here. I, like, oh, I think you know. for him it was more or less like kind of a bucket list type thing. Yeah, and it's like you know, really at the end of the day, for somebody like Bautista, um, 
he's got nothing to gain in that. Right. I mean, like, look, if Dave Bautista decided he could have easily went the CM Punk route and just got a big fight in a UFC and probably made millions of dollars, and he would have at least gotten something out of it. Granted, he probably would have lost that fight because mm-hmm. you take any heavyweight in the UFC and they're going to beat him. But at the same time, at least he's getting a big payday. Right. With this, he couldn't have made much money off that it, fight because this was a tiny yeah. fight against it, it, uh, Vince it was, Lucero. Yeah, it was a, it was a nothing. Uh, yeah. I mean, and it's. I guess he was supposed to fight somebody else. I don't remember who it was. He was supposed to fight, and they fell out. Um, Well, and in that regard, it's just about it's as ballsy of a thing as you can imagine because mm -hmm. uh, there's nothing for him to gain in that. I mean, if he loses, he no, definitely no disrespect to um, to Batista for taking that. I actually I appreciate that a lot. And in a stage like that, that's where those circus fights belong. Like yeah, like a yeah. professional wrestler stepping Absolutely. in, and, you know. Like did they, 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 yeah, they. I'm really actually, you know, usually, I'm all for the entertainment aspect of, of MMA, and mm-hmm. I do think that, uh, you know, having guys like Connor come in and do these kind of uh, with these outlandish personalities and really allowing them to be themselves, I actually think that's what helps to elevate the sport in the sense that. People pay from the beginning of fighting. People pay to see outlandish personalities. Right. You look at the most famous fighters ever: Mike Tyson, Muhammad Ali, Conor McGregor, Floyd Mayweather. They're bigger than life personalities. Mm-hmm. That's what people want to see. Um, so I do think that those guys help to elevate the sport. But at the same time, there's a time and a place for it. There's and the also, guys have to be able to fight too. There's also I was just gonna say there's a big difference between those guys and. Uh, and, and the characters that are just <clears throat> loud. There's right. a big difference between those guys. Like there are there are people, no matter where you go, that are good at talking shit. Right. There's gonna they, be people yes. everywhere you go that, that can can exude their character and throw that shit in your face. But the difference between them and the all those guys you just listed is when it comes down to it, they pretty much have fucked up everyone they fought. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, and that's the thing. I mean, people like to um, you know, people have this tendency to think that oh you know mcgregor had the easy route and this and that and he talked his way to the top and it's like if you really actually look at it he kind of didn't at all i mean he smashed like some legendary fighters he got moved up quickly he got moved in up an quickly. overall in an overall yeah. timeline but, but he but, but what he did to every single person he fought was he made them look fucking exactly like, like jokes? Like, and if you and now what people like to do when they talk about Conor McGregor is they'll always go, "Well, what about the Diaz fight?" It's like, all right, you have one dude who stylistically is a difficult matchup for the guy, and I'm not stylistically like, is a difficult matchup for anyone. For, for, it's like, yeah. Now and now um, you got a guy like that, yeah. So stylistically, it's a tough matchup. But other than that, other than the one loss to Diaz, and then he came back and he beat Diaz in the second fight. You have he TKO'd Eddie Alvarez and made Eddie well, Alvarez, just, who's a multiple-time world champion, has been world-class for the last ten years, made him look like he didn't even belong in the nobody has. He done made that him to look Eddie like Alvarez. a first-timer. He, right. he looked like Eddie Alvarez had this look of defeat in his face. Absolutely, like halfway through that fight, where he's just like, "What the fuck am I even doing?" Absolutely, here? Like, you got Jose Aldo. Um, st- 13 seconds. I mean, that was an absolutely... Starched nobody, him. Yeah, even after that, look, you had... Now, after that, uh, Aldo came back and he lost to Mac, Max Holloway a couple times, but it took some time for Max Holloway to pick him apart. And, you know, granted, Max Holloway's got a different style, but nonetheless, nobody has done that to Aldo the way that Connor did. Before that, he had a tough fight against Mendez, but hey, um, it was Fucking short. Fucking starched Mendez, yeah, too, when it came down to Mendes, it. Like, and yeah. It's not an easy fight. 
Before that, Dennis Seaver. Yeah. Before that, Dennis, Dennis Seaver isn't like a big. Uh, Dennis Seaver isn't like a big draw, but that's a respectable. But he's a win. solid. He's a solid that's, fight. Yeah, that's not a. Yeah. That's definitely not a gimme fight. Right. It's not an easy win, and Dennis Seaver is a dangerous striker. No, absolutely like, not. And then prior to that, you had Dustin Poirier, who's on a hot streak right now. He made Dustin Poirier look silly. Mm-hmm. I mean, he absolutely destroyed Dustin Poirier. Uh, before that, Max Holloway. Absolutely didn't destroy Max Holloway. I think Connor tore his uh, ACL in that fight. He did. He still did. Beat him. And he still he was, still handily defeated Max Holloway. Yeah, with, it, I don't think he lost a point in that fight. No, he didn't. And it would granted it was a very young Max Holloway. You know that was five years ago. But still, even if you were just to take that in itself, even if you were just to take Max Holloway, Dustin Poirier, Chad Mendez, Jose Aldo, Nate Diaz, Eddie Alvarez, that is a that is a rap sheet of top top level fighters mm-hmm. that he ran through right there and I, I would like to say just uh from a personal experience of viewing conor mcgregor's fights i uh the first time i saw him fight what was the guy's name he fought uh, I, I, uh was uh, it uh first fight in ufc marcus was, brimage yeah marcus brimage so i watched that fight and i i remember seeing it and I'm like i think i've heard of this guy before i think he's pretty good this irish dude but I didn't know because I, I hadn't, like, followed him really closely. But when I saw, like, his stance, I was like, all right, his stance is a little wide, but his balance is good. And then I started seeing his footwork, and I was like, Jesus Christ, his distancing is crazy. It looked, the way he started landing shots on Marcus Brimage looked almost exactly the way Anderson Silva looked when he was fighting uh, Chris Lieben. It was yeah. just everything he threw landed just at the exact right place, just at the exact right distance. He's just throwing punches just about like an inch behind the back of his head. And it's... I, I, like, I think that's what some people who uh, maybe aren't as, um, you know, well-informed on fighting or just, you know, they're not able to see those little things. They can't appreciate really how good somebody mm-hmm. like McGregor is at keeping his opponents at the end of his punches and is just like Keith said his timing and his distance are absolutely perfect if you were to do a breakdown I'm assuming of his um, his accuracy it's probably through the roof Mm -hmm. because that guy doesn't there's not a lot of wasted motion in Mm -hmm. Conor McGregor's punches Um, well the exact thing I thought when I saw that fight was like this guy's gonna be a motherfucker like Yeah, (laughs) well, he has the ability to take a a good fighter and really, really expose their weaknesses. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, he's just so good on the feet. And, you know, people like to go back to that Mayweather fight now and, you know, say, what about his stand-up? Well, you're talking about him versus the greatest boxer of all time. Like, the, the funny thing about that is... Is they're, they're now I don't know if you've heard about this, but they're doing talks of uh, Mayweather coming over to the UFC, and there's rumors that they were thinking about doing yeah, modified yeah. rules where you know no elbows allowed, no knees allowed, all this other bullshit. We're gonna do modified rules where yeah. you can't do anything like, but punch and dodge punches. It's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> and then people, and then after that, uh, after that McGregor and Mayweather fight, people like there was people on uh, social media who were saying. Uh, all this shit about, uh, yeah, you know, Floyd or May, uh, McGregor's just not on Mayweather's level. You know, Floyd's a goat, blah, 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 blah. But it's like, yeah, but you guys are forgetting that this dude went over to this guy's sport and yeah. did it. Like, if fucking Mayweather tried to come over to MMA, it wouldn't even... You could take the lowest level 125 pounder from the UFC and they would destroy Mayweather. It wouldn't even be remotely competitive. Yeah. 
not even a little bit. He would just get manhandled. Um, and I think, and you know, you have all these people who speculate, and they're like, "Well, if he took a little time to work on his takedown, no, no, no. absolutely, there's not, not enough time in the world. He's 40 years old. It wouldn't matter if he if he was 30 years old. There yeah. wouldn't be enough time in the world. No, it's. I've I've said this forever. I think this is super obvious. I think anyone who doesn't think this, you know, no offense, but you're stupid as shit. <laughs> it is. Uh, they're two different fucking games. They're two different games. Yeah. Take a football player and have him go play basketball. He's not going to be as good as the basketball players who've been doing that their whole fucking lives. It doesn't work that way. If I'm really good at baseball and you put a golf club in my hands and tell me to go hit hole-in-ones against fucking Tiger Woods, I'm probably not going to do that well. Absolutely. It's a really simple It's a really simple thing. You know, like, it's if I'm practicing my whole life to do one one set of skills or a varied set of skills whatever it is but whatever whatever my game is that i'm playing that i've worked on that forever and you go that's cool that that reminds me a lot of this one why don't you go do that against the people who've been doing that forever well i'm probably not going to win and if i do it's it's circumstance it's all right that happened that time but not for any logical reason. Well, and I think what it is, is this is, uh, you know, this is uh, a lot of times when you see these opinions of people online and just in general, this is coming from the opinions of people who, I, I, I would think that it's it's coming from people who lack the understanding of the time it takes to acquire a skill. And we touched on this a little bit mm-hmm. in the last podcast as well about how, you know, it takes a lifetime. It takes years to be able to become proficient at something. Well, I don't and, even I don't even like the expression to acquire a skill because that that gives you yeah, that gives but, you the impression that you acquire right. it and then you have it. Right. Build it, on a skill, yeah, I should it say. It takes time. Improve on a skill. Yeah. I mean, you 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 may acquire a skill, but you also have to maintain it. Right. It takes yeah. a level of maintenance. It also takes uh it never you never really master it. There's no, no such thing as true mastery. You only get better and better and fluctuate from better and worse in your skills. Right. Yeah, and you know, um, while we're on the subject of uh, McGregor and uh, that whole, uh, you know, because actually prior to uh, when we filmed, when we did our last podcast, um, the whole McGregor uh, bus incident hadn't happened yet, you know, where he threw the dolly through the window. Right, that That was, that happened like the day after. (laughs) Yeah, it was like the day after, bad timing. Oh, I know, Uh, we had had a lot to talk about if that was... But, uh, uh, you know, so since then we had the Khabib fight versus... um, Al Iaquinta, who stepped in last minute after they cycled through like fuck, like five opponents or something yeah. like that, um, which I'm, was you know it was a, it was a it was a pretty one sided fight. Yeah. Um, Khabib controlled the action. However, all of the other lightweights should really be thanking Iaquinta for that fight because it really did provide people uh, with a blueprint on how to beat Khabib, even though Khabib won, in my opinion. You think so? What did you see there? That. Number one, uh, he had a lot of tendencies, and I, I know Joe Rogan got a lot of shit because he said this during the fight, but I 100% agreed. I think he showed a lot of tendencies in his stand-up. There's a lot of, he leaves a lot of margin for error, and I think somebody who's as sharp on the feet as Connor could easily catch him on the feet standing. Um, now, I don't know how much of that is just kind of him knowing he had control of the fight, so he didn't give a shit. Mm-hmm. But he's he's kind of showed these tendencies over and over again. I think he has a lot of faith in his chin. 
Mm-hmm. But I think we've seen what happened when somebody gets too much faith in their chin. And there's always that chance that uh, that they could, they could get clipped. Um, and then the other thing that I saw was he was definitely fading out in the last couple rounds. Um, he was taking Iaquinta down with ease in the first two to three rounds. The last two rounds, he actually, I don't think he scored any of the takedowns that he attempted. Iaquinta stuffed them all. And then he had to rely on his jab. Um so yeah, his I, gas I tank, his gas tank, and I don't know how much of that is just, you know, I know I've heard before that it's a hard weight cut for him. Um, I don't know how much of it is that, but for me, there was two major focal points. It was his gas tank, um, which clearly I think was affected in the last two rounds and his standup wasn't impressive. I mean, it was good enough to, to get past Iaquinta and he can get away with that because his wrestling's so good. However, I think if you put him against a more uh, explosive striker, he could get caught. I think there's a difference between um, with, with a with a fighter like Khabib. I think there's a big difference between his stand up being unimpressive and his stand up just being being ugly. Because I I see ugly striking. I see. I agree. I, yeah. I see ugly, ugly, but still effective striking. I see. Yeah. I see errors, and I see room for improvement. But I also think he's doing shit that works for him. Yeah, because he still does land. Yeah, he still. Yeah. He still. Like, he still outstruck him. Did you? So. Did you ever see? Uh, you remember Shane Roller? Uh, was he on the Ultimate Fighter? No, he was on. Uh, he he was in WEC and then he moved into UFC. Oh, for a Shane Roller, fights. I do remember him. Ter- a, terrible, yeah. ugly fighter. And now, he, and, and he had a really. Now, this is uh, he, he had a he had a beautiful knockout <laughs> over. over uh, I can't remember what his name is. Uh, that guy who looked like a little Vitor Belfort. He was like way pretty, striking, super clean movement. See if you can find that real quick. I. Now, here's fast athletic guy and yep. Shane Roller caught him like with the ugliest looking one two and just knocked his chin off of his head and that was a good example of ugly but effective striking <laughs> now here's how you guys know that I am a uh, a personal trainer was that when I thought of Shane Roller the first thing that came to mind was how I remember him having a really bad physique a horrible thing. Just a really <laughs> ugly body. And I hate that that's the first thing I think of when I should be thinking of the fighting, but I just can't help it. Well, rumor is he was a great wrestler, but I never really saw that's what great I heard wrestling well. out of him. So was it Anthony and Jaqu- No, and, uh, no, Anthony no and it wasn't Anthony and Jaquani. It um, would have been... Uh, it was in UFC. It was after WEC. Oh, UFC. So he, he was fighting a, a UFC fighter. It was Tiago Tavares. Tiago, Tiago Tavares. Tavares. Now, if okay. you guys don't remember yeah. Tiago Tavares... He was a he was a very good prospect, uh, and what was that? That was featherweight, he, he, right? You know, yeah. Uh, uh, so he was, a, he was a big featherweight prospect. He, uh, he kind of reminded me of a Tiago Tavares. His fighting style almost reminded me of like a Dos Anjos, like kind, kind of, of yeah. a solid all around game, really real, real yeah. Um, physical. Yeah, very good, uh, like calculated physical effort like that yeah. kind of like knows when to explode very sharp yeah Con- sharp controlled yeah. explosive yeah uh really good grappling really good uh striking just clean movements everything looked real pretty and he fought shane roller who just looked like he rolled off the yeah couch. like seriously just got awful like <laughs> that shane roller like was someone the, like you know, someone he, dropped a glazed ham in a barbershop just real me, bad to look at <laughs> he reminded me of a mini uh matt linland 
or something like that. That's a good way of putting it. And but Matt Lindland's a real good example of someone who who just has an awful body, but was a, <laughs> we're just talking about reputable. Bodies now. It was a reputable. Who's got uh, the wrestling. best body in the UFC? The best yeah. body in the UFC. <laughs> Jeez, uh, I don't know. That's a that's a that's a tough call. You know, you know, I know who it is. It's that one hundred. He just kind of popped up on the scene. That one hundred eighty five pound dude. Um, the fuck is that guy's name? He just fought not long ago. He looks like a fucking Incredible Hulk. Um, one eighty five. He just fought like Johnny Hendricks. He just fought Johnny Hendricks. Oh, uh, what is this uh, dude's name? I, I didn't even see it. I heard about it. I'm, I'm missing way right, too so, many fights lately. Uh, I just I'm, tried to Wikipedia Johnny Hendricks, and you guys will have to forgive me. I accidentally Wikipedia Jimmy Hendricks. Jimmy so Hendricks. give me a second here. I've got the wrong autocorrect. Uh, Hendricks. It's, uh, it's uh, iPad um, problems. Yeah, uh, but no, Johnny Hendricks fought this dude. Uh, this guy is massive. He's a Brazilian guy. I'm just about to find him. Paulo Costa. Um, if you guys haven't seen Paulo Costa, this dude is massive. I don't even know how this guy makes the 145-pound uh, limit, or sorry, 185-pound <laughs> limit. Um, this guy is just massive. I mean, it's ridiculous. And, uh, you know, he fought uh, Johnny Hendricks. Clearly, uh, Johnny Hendricks is... Uh, uh, fall, fallen on some hard times, and um, Johnny Hendricks has really not showed a lot of his uh, his former glory. And uh, there's speculation that it has to do with the USADA testing and everything. I don't know if that's really it, or if he just is one of the Jesus Christ guys body <laughs> death. I mean, it is it is insanity. That is know? that is outrageous. So like, Keith just saw Paulo uh, Costa for the first time, and this guy he looks I, like a fucking action figure. I don't this know. Is, I don't know how this guy passes the drug test because to me this is. If this guy's not on performance enhancers, like it's it's insanity because this we, guy. Well, we is... need to like for people like that, we need to have a different division, just the superhuman division. Where <laughs> it's, it's kind like, of unfair. You, you don't get to fight with normal people if your body is like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's crazy. If you guys haven't seen this dude, look him up. He looks like he he's is... carved out of wood with some veins. He really does. He's he's massive. He he's just huge. Um, in any case, um, he's also a really good fighter. He's actually, he kind of reminds me of like a v, young Vitor Belfort. He's okay. uh, super, super explosive. He's got a few knockouts on his record. What, you're you're kidding me. A guy like that's explosive. <laughs> like, I, I would never have thought. Yeah. But yeah, you know, yeah. Speaking of which, I wanted to touch on that. The uh, the Osada thing with Johnny Hendricks. Right. It's, it's really, I was talking to somebody about this the other day. And man, Osada coming in. Has really exposed <laughs> some some guys, man. It's really exposed who was on the stuff. A lot of because, people are uh, just starting to develop these beer bellies. And well, man, like, from the like, second they came in, some of these guys they didn't even try and hide it. Yeah. Like some of these dudes just fell off the second they came yeah. in. Hendricks being one of them. Now, granted, you know you can always Hendrix, give him the benefit yeah. of the doubt, but uh, well, he he also here's my thing with Hendricks, and this is probably wrong. And this is not what I like necessarily believe, but this is a theory, just to play devil's advocate a little bit. Johnny Hendricks was this incredibly hardworking, incredibly driven beast of a wrestler, and he often talked about his uh, like got to be number one. There is nothing but number one. He right. had that Ricky Bobby if you mentality. Ain't first, you ain't first, you're last. <laughs> like he was very about that, and he fucking fell off when he lost. Yeah. He had a loss and like did not recover. He started missing weight he consistently. 
He opened a restaurant. <laughs> Supposedly that yeah. was horrible. Yeah. It was called Big Rigs, I think. Great. Yeah, of course. Um, but yeah, like he had this whole series of things. And I think like once he wasn't the best and he wasn't just knocking everyone out that he came across, he didn't care anymore. And it's just like, you know, I can I can see that. It's like, oh man, I can't I can't be number one and it just broke him. Yeah. But most likely it was Usada. <laughs> it was Usada. Like that's way more here. likely. I mean, and there are some dudes. Like, I mean, obviously the, the the most obvious one was Vitor. He literally just deflated. I remember when Vitor got back on TRT. You didn't oh, even yeah. have to tell it, me it was because like I remember was, the fight. It was. Uh, it was like he was nineteen again. Yeah. Well, he came back to UFC. Was it Luke Rockhold? No. Spin no, kicked him and knocked that. his fucking head off. Nope. It was. Uh, he came back to UFC. He fought Rich Franklin. Knocked out Rich Franklin. He mm. wasn't on TRT when he fought Rich Franklin. Or if he was, it wasn't. He obvious. looked. He looked saggy. Yeah. And he looked like old, he, but he was still. Yes. He was still dangerous. He was, he was still, still a, dangerous. a guy with a lifetime of. Ab- of yeah. He was still young. Yeah. Yeah. He was still young at that point because he had came into the UFC as you know when he was like eighteen. Um, and then after that, he had his fight with Anderson, I think, and Anderson just had the classic front kick to the face knockout, mm-hmm. one of the best knockouts ever. It was after that fight when he fought uh, the one that Akiyama. the one that Steven Seagal taught him. I want the one that Steven Seagal taught that. him. Yes, it was after that fight he fought Akiyama. That was the fight where he got back on TRT. I remember we could. The reason I remember this is because we watched it in this house that we're in right now. And it was a uh, pay-per-view. I think it was uh, Tito Ortiz versus Forrest Griffin. And it was supposed to be Tito's retirement fight in the UFC. And uh, I remember Vitor walking out. And I was like, what the? What the fuck happened to this guy? <laughs> like, did he just... Did he just... Did uh, Ronnie Coleman come in and start... Take over on this guy's strength and conditioning program over oh, the last man. few months or what? But I remember him coming out. And I was like, oh, man. Fucking... Akiyama is in trouble because yeah. Vitor is back on the sauce. And <laughs> that's the a first, juiced up Vitor is something anybody wants to be anywhere close to. And it was the to, first yeah. thing I said. And sure enough, he absolutely starched Akiyama. And uh, how you can always tell when Vitor is back on the sauce is his traps come back. He's got massive traps when he's on steroids. Mm-hmm. I say all this like I'm his fucking growth hormone doctor or something, yeah. and I know. Um, but... Matt, That's Matt what studies the bodies. Of his, uh, <laughs> That's what happens of, of his uh, fighters quite, so, quite so, rigorously. So Vitor is one of them. Um, yeah, he he definitely has looked horrible since he's mm-hmm. since Usada came in. Another one would be uh, would be uh, Eric Silva. Has looked really really bad. I mean, his physique just completely changed. Obviously, Overeem is another one. Uh, this is a totally different era, but. I want to take you guys back in time for a second on this same uh, on this same concept, the same point in conversation. But if any of you uh, have your cell phones in front of you or on a laptop, I want you to uh, go online and look up Tim Sylvia when he fought Wesley Cabbage Carrera. Now was this Tim Sylvia when he was actually That was Tim Sylvia when he was that was when he was on steroids. Yeah. Before yeah. before I want to mention before he became champion. Yeah. And it was the funniest thing how like immediately after he got busted for steroids, his first thing that he said was I don't even take them for performance. I just take them because I have a really bad body. <laughs> it's like I don't want to look like shit. Well, and that was his time- statement. And when he did when he when he did get clean, you could see he still I never really thought Tim Sylvia was a great fighter, but he was effective because of his size and everything. He had the best run of his career and fought just about the same way. 
after after he got off steroids. Yeah, but he, did. he just had this hilariously awful body. He looked like fucking Play-Doh. It was horrible. He, yeah, he uh, yeah, he looked like shit. But do you remember He's... how like that six foot seven monster? had traps and pecs and he looked like an action figure at 265 pounds when he fought Carrera like that is the biggest body change that I've ever seen it's yeah it's pretty insane and did uh did Tim Sylvia he uh he beat he beat Noguera right he did beat Noguera. Or did Noguera beat... No, Noguera no, beat No, Noguera him. tapped him out. Noguera yeah, tapped it was, him out. He was that beating was he, Noguera. Noguera it was ended really Silvio's uh, run, right? Yeah, it was really um, close. No, no, he, he he was, like, beating up Noguera. No, and then Tim, Noguera caught him in the guillotine. Is Tim Silvia the most hated champion ever? He's up there. He's people up there. really didn't like Tim How about Tim Dave Manet? Does everybody remember that Dave Manet was a champion for a while? No, it's funny, actually. Until you mentioned yeah. that, I totally forgot yeah. that he was even a champion. I don't think he was hated. Just I think he was just, just very gave a shit. Yeah, not well known. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That yeah. Was, yeah, that was a dark age when uh, Tim Silvia well, he got was it. Champion. He got it from... Um, he got it from... Uh, uh, Muriel Bustamante, uh, who I think must have like died or something <laughs> i don't know what happened there but he like i don't even think he beat marilo busamonte i think he lost to him and then and then like busamonte retired or he had the belt stripped from him for some reason and then it just went by default to dave Minet, who i think immediately lost it afterwards i would have to look this up to confirm it but i i don't actually remember what happened but he was the most lackluster of champions but Tim Sylvia may be maybe the most disliked, like aggressively, outwardly disliked of champions. He, he was just, you know, I from what I remember about Tim Sylvia is just I just don't remember like looking forward to his fights. Like he was right. just kind of blah, you know. He was just there's just something about him where you just didn't really look forward to a Tim Sylvia fight. I remember I was so happy when Randy Couture came back and he beat him. That was like mind blowing. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think everybody had just kind of assumed that Couture was done at that age. Um, that, that was the coolest thing about Couture is that he just kept coming back and being like effective. Yeah, it's like yeah, he was never he was never out of the game at any point. No, I think well, except for I think I guess you know when he fought a Machida in his last fight. I think that was probably the point when he we had kind of no like uh, stylistically time. he had no business. In that Machida. was a rough Even, fight. I, I don't know yeah. why they they put it, him in that fight. I would say even in his prime, stylistically, he had no business in there with uh No, that, with that's Mishida. a rough fight for Randy Couture on any night. Uh, Mashita's too explosive, dynamic. He, his in-and-out uh, striking is, is too sharp and fast. And uh, his takedown defense for his generation was like some of the best takedown defense uh, yeah. in the game. Well, and while we were on the topic of Usada, that's another one that people are... Uh claiming could be attributed to asada coming in really is that that's a, that i've heard that yeah but you know what i i haven't really been paying a lot of attention to uh Mishida's recent fights so well undoubtedly I, I, I think there's one thing that we learned when usada came in i don't want to make a blanket statement here but i'm going to make a blanket statement yeah uh i think brazilians like steroids and I think once Usada came in, that kind of showed that maybe. I mean, hey, don't get me wrong. I think Americans like steroids too. I think any any country and any. Uh, I think I think I've got a bigger blanket for you here. <laughs> uh, in the fight game, 
everyone is Everybody on steroids. Like steroids. Yeah, I yeah. think I know. I mean, I know there's a lot of people who who, who pride themselves in the fact they don't take steroids. Um, I know. I just think it's such a prevalent thing in the world of fighting sports. It's just there's so many people taking steroids. It's tremendous. It's almost like the fucking Tour de France shit where, like, everyone's doping. Right. Well, and, and I think that's like, something you realize more and more the deeper you get entrenched into yeah. any competitively based anything. I mean, even something that isn't necessarily competitively based. Like, one thing I was always very naive to, um, you know, I've been a gym rat since I was, like, 14, 15 years oh, old. Oh, just, like, just the big dudes at the gym? Yeah, yeah, and that was out. something, yeah. and, like... um you know, when I would uh, when I would just get to talking with people, and you know, they'd be like, "Hey, what are you taking?" I'm like, uh, "Nothing. I barely even take supplements. Yeah. Let alone like, I'll I'll maybe take creatine for like a month, and I'm like, yeah, I don't feel like spending money on this anymore. Yeah. And I'll stop taking it. So I I barely will even take supplements. Yeah. And um, personally, you know, I, yeah, personally, I notice a very very minuscule, if anything at all, difference based on what I'm taking as supplements. Right. Yeah. No. 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 Supplements. My... People are just pissing money on it's, this shit and it's like it's a placebo most it, of the time it, it, i think I it think. is a placebo most of the time and then like 90 percent of the time when they test this shit it doesn't even have what they say they have in it it's <laughs> just total horse shit and people look at the end of the day people want a shortcut from hard work what they don't realize is that if you want to gain appreciable amounts of muscle strength speed whatever it may be it takes time you know, now don't well, get me it, wrong. You it, do have people that are naturally more athletic than others, and they're gonna maybe you know make gains quicker. Mm-hmm. However, you know when I look at where I was ten years ago in you know weightlifting or exercise or whatever, I'm not even you know I'm 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 not even half then of what I am now. I'm way better conditioned now, way stronger, and it took time to get to that point. And, uh, you know, being, like I said, in and out of gyms, working at gyms, being in that environment, um, I would meet guys, and I still meet guys all the time, who they don't even know what it's like to work out or train without taking steroids. They've never done it. So to me, that's crazy, because it's like, you don't even know what you're actual genetic potential is without it mm-hmm. you know how to, and then every time they get off of this stuff they completely lose the motivation to sure. to train and that's the thing that scares me about it is because trust same, me same been, I, I i had that same like i i took like uh i took like 17 hd one time when i was in high school and i guess that's like progesterone or something that it has in it it has like a form of testosterone yeah so it's basically like like a little shot of steroids mm-hmm. so i tried that before and it gave me such a like a like a boost where I was just like, ah, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna do pops, and like you know it was great. It had a really good like in the gym feeling, and I did it that one time, and I was like, I shouldn't do that. Yeah, no. Like, and now, if you guys don't know, know, yeah, there there are some of you who are gonna know what 17 HD is, and I remember that stuff because it was when I was like, I remember I was like 17 at the time, so it wasn't that long after I started working out, and I remember a buddy of mine had 17 HD. He was like, yeah, dude, try this stuff, try this. And I remember I was real hesitant. So kind of the same thing. I took it that one time and I was instantly added like four to five repetitions to I'm my pretty bench sure press. my dick got bigger <laughs> yeah, when I yeah. took that stuff. Like, I, I instantly like, added five inches to my penis. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> no, but I remember right away I was such a noticeable strength gain that it was borderline like scary. Yeah. I, was I, like, added, I, don't... I added reps to to my uh, yeah yeah it, it literally it was it was just like cheating. It was like I just yeah. added muscle to my body. My cardio is better. I'm like right. It didn't. It... What, when I think typically when you what people don't realize is that typically if you take something that makes you improve that quickly. It's probably also going to plateau very quickly, I yeah. think, and it's also going to be difficult to maintain that those improvements. So, um, the like like you were you like you were talking about earlier, I wanted to like touch on this. Uh, uh, people have a way of looking at working out where uh, they look at it as like, you know, I want to get this result. I want to I want to achieve this. I want to attain this ability to do this and there's a when it comes to any any sort of physical fitness or physical activity you have to really look at things as they are there's no there's no uh there's no faking it you know like you can cheat and take steroids and that'll help you get there faster but you have to really understand that you're not really building something you're conditioning and adapting Right. So you have to experience what you're trying to do. You have to experience simulated versions of what you're trying to do and get good at. And it, and you have to struggle so that your body adapts to it. It's like micro evolution within your lifetime. You make you're not just going like, "Well, I want to be in better shape, so I got to start doing curls." It's like, "No, what is your goal? What are you trying to what do you what kind of better shape are you trying to get into?" Right. So you have to subject yourself to those conditions so that your body conditions to it. Absolutely. Yeah, I, th- I think that's the thing that, uh, you know, a lot of times, I, and I think that's a big mistake that people will make when they when they look at exercise or they're getting into exercises. They don't have a clear goal in mind. Um, you know, even just something I've learned through, you know, I was, I've, I've got my marathon coming up in a week and I used to do tons of running. Like I remember even when we were, when I was doing my martial arts training back in the day, I was always doing my running and my conditioning and stuff like that. And I was running like seven to 12 miles a day. And, um, you know, the, I, I had spent, I kind of gotten away from that. And I had spent a few years where I was just doing like, you know, deadlifts and squats and just heavy lifting. And I was still getting conditioning in, but in the form of, a in the form of weightlifting, but then I kind of forgot what true conditioning was. And, People have this idea that if you set up a circuit and you know you you do your set of bench press and then move right into a set of squats and deadlifts. Now, don't get me wrong, that'll that'll get your heart rate up. But when you're doing that, what people fail to understand is that you are pumping muscle or pumping blood to your muscles. So you're taking blood and pumping it to your muscles. You're getting a pump. When you're doing true con- aerobic conditioning, like running or like a long cycle or something like that. What you're doing is you're making your body more efficient and pu- taking blood away from the muscles and pumping it to the heart. So there are two different kinds of conditioning. You can't replicate aerobic conditioning necessarily with weightlifting because they're two fundamentally different things. And I had to separate the two. I had to learn how to compartmentalize the two. Um, when I would go for my runs, I remember I, as I got more adapted to it, I remembered, oh, this is what it feels like to have an efficient... Um, and a, a heart that is a, a more efficient at pumping blood. Mm, an aerobic. An aerobic component, yeah. yeah. 
Um, and I was trying to get the best of both worlds, but I was kind of shortchanging myself by combining the two because mm-hmm. they actually fundamentally work better when they're separated. Right. Uh, there, there, there's a, the, yeah, the, that, that reminds me, there's like a property when I went through uh, NASM that I, that I kind of learned because I would always try to like, basically the idea is you want to make it as hard as possible. You want to make everything as hard as possible. But essentially, you don't want to make your workout as hard on you as possible. What you want to do is you want to make your you want to you want to position yourself in a way that you can do it the best way possible. Yeah. Like if you want to increase your high jump, you you want to jump as high as you can. Right. You know. Yes. Whatever the conditions are that allow you to jump your highest, well, you want to keep pushing the limit on that. You don't want to do stuff that's going to make your high jump harder. Right. That, that'll that'll increase your your muscle. Like if you do squats and then you tie weights to your waist and then you jump as high as you can, that'll make your legs stronger. But it's not going to increase your high jump. That's just yes. going to make your legs stronger. Yeah, and that's you know I've had people ask me about that in the past. They're like, well, what if I uh, go and do sprints with like a uh, you know weighted like vest or wind, something wind, like, like that? Like a, yeah. yeah, and it's. Um, They've actually done studies. There's a book I read where they talked about how, you know, they've done studies where they've actually found that over speed. Now, there's there's a point of diminishing returns where you can add a certain amount of a small amount of resistance to increase your sprint, but it's a very small amount. It's not as much as mm-hmm. people would assume. Right, right, right. You know, I think most people might think that, well, if I could sprint just as fast with a, uh, a 40 pound weight vest on as I can without then I'll be faster. No, you'll just be better with a 40-pound yeah. weight vest off. It's not necessarily going to increase your total speed. Yeah. So the point that the book was trying to make was that overspeed training can be just as effective as, um, you know, if you're doing a, uh, a uphill sprint, if you do a downhill sprint, because you're forcing your, when you sprint downhill, let's say at a slight decline, mm-hmm. you're able to increase the speed and you're actually forcing your body to adapt to a faster speed than right. it's used to. So there's different exactly. ways of and doing it. Go, it goes back to conditioning and adaptation. You're going to, right. you're forcing your body to adapt to moving at a higher speed. But when you keep adding resistance, well, then you're you're forcing your body to adapt to having resistance yes. instead of adapting to uh, increasing the speed. Yes. I had these guys uh, in a class the other day that, uh, not a class I was teaching. My coach had us go like, you know, pick up some pick up some light weights and start shadow boxing, and you got like fucking dumb shits picking up like 10 pound weights i've got little two pound weights because i know how to throw a punch <laughs> right yeah <laughs> i'm going like you don't if you pick up a 10 pound weight and you start pushing it around you're getting used to pushing around a 10 pound weight absolutely yeah you, you that's not the point we're picking up a little two pound weights so that we're getting used to shooting out a tiny little weight pop 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 and I told him, I was like, if you guys are doing this right, this shouldn't be harder than just throwing your fists around. Right. The weight should carry your, your punch. Absolutely, like, yes. Yeah, they, you know, they have this really uh, cool thing that they just came out with. And it's a guy, it's by this guy named David Weck. He's the guy who invented the, uh, the BOSU ball. I don't know if he invented it. I think actually Paul Check takes, anyways, who cares? Who yeah, regardless. Stupid second <laughs> half ball. Um, so this guy, he, he came out with these things called pulsers. And they're little... Um, you know, couple pound weights. 
I think they vary in size. Um, but they actually, they're like two little hand weights that have a shifting weight on the inside of them. Mm-hmm. So the idea is when you use these these shifting weights in your hands when you do your, your running or your sprinting, they actually, as the weight shifts, it actually helps to pull you forward through your mm-hmm. gait cycle. Okay. Um, so I've actually been curious to try those. I've, I've seen them pop up. I don't, I don't know how effective they are, but I kind of liked the idea of it because it's the same concept. You're taking a yeah. light enough weight to kind of help pull, help propel you. Right. Um, it's not. It's not necessarily meant to add resistance. It's helping you. No, uh, exactly. It's, it's helping you move correctly. Yes, exactly. Put the right kind of energy into your movement. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's actually. I'm. I'm actually guilty of this. I. Uh, I went to a for the first time ever, like two months ago. I went to a. Um, a, uh, a bar class have you ever heard of that a bar class yeah so it's like a so. mix of i've been doing this hot yoga pretty consistently for the last few months um and i'd already been doing yoga on my own for like 10 years um so i'm pretty used to the yoga and any kind of like yoga pilates fusion body weight stuff um, but i go to this bar class and i made the mistake of doing it on a monday and i do my long runs on a uh, sunday so okay. my calves were just completely wrecked, so tight. I go to this bar class, and it's a mix of ballet, Pilates, and yoga. Mm-hmm. Um, it w- and I made the mistake of they have all these weights laid out. And I see all the other girls. You know, it, I was the only guy in the class, by the way. There was like 30 people, and I just looked like <laughs> probably a fucking creep in there. Um, but well, you uh, know what? You know what? You have the thing going for that you're obviously like a fitness guy. Like you, I'm sure you showed up in like your your straight up like North Face gear or whatever. I, I like had my your, uh, compression. I had my compression tights like, on. Yeah. Yeah. No I, uh, one's looking at you going, "This fucking weirdo's in here." Too. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, he probably belongs in this fitness class. Yeah. Like, I, I came in with a beret and some glasses, <laughs> and uh, I had a camera and a ponytail. No. Um. So. I, yeah, I go into this class and I see the all the other all the girls. I said all the other girls, like all I'm the girl. other girls, all the other so girls, all the other girls, all the other girls in the class have some really lightweight. So all the other all the girls. I in was the, class. the bitch with the biggest weights <laughs> in the class. Yes. So I go over there and I grab the ten pound dumbbells, not realizing that you're gonna do like fucking hundreds of reps with these tiny yeah. little dumbbells, and it was really hard it was a super difficult class i don't think i would have had that much trouble with it had i been fresh um but as i said my calves are really tight from this run Mm -hmm. the day before and a lot of it you're just balancing on the ball of the foot because it's like ballet moves Mm -hmm. i actually though it was a really cool class i enjoyed it for the most part the only part i didn't like is they have you get on the on the floor and you do like a zillion like hip bridges and booty thrusts and my fucking definitely catered towards women in that regard I could have used some penis thrusts. Some, um, some dick no. thrusts. <laughs> probably, would have been, um, probably would have been more functional for yes, me to do I, some dick thrusts. Yes, and, exactly. I want to be a functional man. Uh, well, those are uh, those would be the the Osuzis, or as my coach likes to call them, <laughs> tiger push-ups. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? No. You, you get up, a tiger no, it's, it's, uh, you, get up, you have a really narrow uh, stance where your feet are your feet are really wide. Your ass is up in the air and you get a, a narrow stance with your hands and you do this little like dip move where you drop your face to your chest, oh, okay. to your hands. Like a dive bomb yeah, push And then up. you basically like hump the ground right? and then you push yourself back up. Yeah. And, uh, you know, traditionally you would say one oh Susie, right. two oh Susie. Okay, I got you. Yeah. Yeah. Those, for those of you guys who don't know what Keith is describing, it's like a... Uh, they call they also call them like dive bomber push-ups oh, yeah. or I think they also even call them judo push-ups. 
Yeah, um, I've heard that too. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But those and, are actually those are pretty tough. Those are those are uh, fucking cool hard workout. Yeah. But those are what I would assume a dick thrust would be. If you were <laughs> if you were comparing, you know, a hip thrust to like, you know, a booty lift bridge. Well, like, you know, as a trainer, one thing I've noted is that people just neglect their private parts mm-hmm. when uh, they're training. You know, they they I don't should know. Yeah. strengthen their uh, I, sexual organs. Yeah, I don't know if it's uh I don't know if it's just that people are uncomfortable increasing the, the power of their <laughs> genitals which uh, brings and us that, to our next point me and keith got into this uh we're uh, sales reps for uh this really interesting new product you guys might want to no i'm just kidding you know, we, it's it's basically <laughs> like it's a little it's a latch you hook on to either your <laughs> penis or your clitoris whichever one you're... <laughs> <laughs> yeah no no we we're, we're it's it's we're kidding it's uh it's still in its prototype phase we haven't even tested it yet <laughs> we're trying to work out like a joint thing like a buddy system where we could latch it to each other's penises and then see <laughs> <laughs> so like, i don't know if we're gonna do it like a spotter thing or if we're gonna work against each other so <laughs> we yeah this uh we need to patent this asap <laughs> this is um, we can't release this until we patent the uh the uh the dick thruster so you know, we've we've definitely uh, we spent a lot of time diving into the martial arts here, diving into the exercise. I, I um, I'd like that that we did that, but yeah, I'm ready. We we got other stuff to talk about. Yeah, like, yeah, for sure. Um, so what else do we have to talk about? I mean, well, what do we. I saw some movies recently that were pretty good. Yeah, um, g- give me some uh, give me some intel on the new stuff you watch. I noticed you watched a few things like. Uh, like uh, you saw that Quiet Place movie? Yeah, I, I saw a Quiet Place. That was pretty good. It was a um, I wouldn't describe it as a horror movie as much as I would like a. Uh, it was kind of like a thriller, mm-hmm. um, science fiction type, end of the world apocalypse type movie. Mm-hmm. Very interesting concept because the creatures in the movie respond to a sound. Okay. So the whole kind of premise of the movie is that you can't make a sound. Now, when you have a premise like that where you can't make a sound, uh, there's a lot of plot holes. And that had those, okay? I'm not going to sure. lie. There was a lot of stuff that didn't quite add up where you're like, wait a minute, how come they can make this sound but they can't make that sound? And, I, you know, there's a lot of stuff like that. But there was also a lot of really clever stuff, and it was a really, really good, really well-done movie. And the probably the biggest thing I was surprised by when I saw this movie was that it went by so fast. It was like a 90-minute movie. It was kind of standard length. But I just remember feeling like this movie was like a half hour. Like, I just couldn't believe how fast it went by. So I was really, really kind of immersed in the uh, experience of this movie. Okay. And, so um, it, 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 set a, it set a tone well. And, yes. And drew yeah, you in. it really right. pulled you in, and you were kind of just waiting to see what was going to happen next. W- would and, you attribute that to uh, acting, cinematography, uh, no, the, the soundtrack? The cinematography anything? didn't really stand out to me. Um, it was more so, the acting was solid. The acting was very, very solid. Okay. Um, I did a review on it, and I had mentioned how... I think Emily Blunt has to be my favorite actress because she's just like so good in everything. She's just, she gives such an emotional performance. And same thing too, the guy was really good, John Krasinski, and he actually yeah. directed it as well. I, I I never really gave too much thought to Emily Blunt, but it's a, that's a good point. I mean, I, I, my thing with her is, 
she doesn't really overact badly. I've never noticed no. her in anything where I've just been like, God, can you fucking dial it back a little bit? Jesus <laughs> no, she Christ. Doesn't. She gives just enough. And uh, that's actually, there was a, another movie I reviewed the other day uh, where I specifically noted that as the problem. I, um, I uh, reviewed Magnolia the other day. Okay. And if you guys haven't seen Magnolia... It's, it's been a, a while, for yeah, sure. Yeah, right. well, it's a very dramatic movie. It's a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Um, he's the same guy who did Boogie Nights and The Master, Inherent Vice. He kind of is known to kind of go against the grain a little bit and do some uh, kind of wacky stuff. Um, but Magnolia came out in 2000, I think. And uh, it's a really good movie overall. It has a... Uh, masterful performance by Tom Cruise. I think mm-hmm. it's got his best performance ever. And there's a Tom Cruise in the movie. I'll throw some spoilers out there because this movie's been out for almost 20 years now. Yeah, and if you haven't seen it by now, you should go fuck yourself. Yeah, it's a, you um, can get over it. If you, <laughs> if you get a spoiler on a 20 year old movie, like yeah, there's a statute of limitations. Um, so Tom Cruise in the, in the, in the movie plays this character named Frank TJ Mackey. And he's like a, um, it's kind of like a, uh, God, what's that guy? Neil Strauss. There's a guy named Neil Strauss. I think that's his name. I might be getting that wrong. Neil something. Uh, Neil but anyway. deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> Neil deGrasse Tyson. Anyways, there's this guy, though, who wrote this book about, uh, he's like a, um, a pickup artist, basically. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially what Tom Cruise is in this movie. He's a very vulgar pickup artist who talks about, like, the power of the cock and how you have to control the cunt. Okay, and it's I'm just really, yeah. And it's a... Uh, it's really, really, yeah, and it's it's he just plays this kind of awful guy, um, and it's just like a very powerful performance because uh, he's very conflicted and he's got these uh, daddy issues, and um, you know the one of the aspects of the movie is that his dad is dying and uh, he he has to go see him before he dies before his father dies, and he has to kind of uh, confront his father, and he just gives this like. I don't think I've ever seen Tom Cruise give a performance like this where, because Tom Cruise will typically kind of do the big action movies, stuff like that. And in this performance, I mean, he's just like, it's raw. Like he's crying. He's, he just, it seems like he, it's just this guttural kind of from his, from his very soul, you know? Um, so if you guys haven't seen that, it's worth seeing just for watching that alone. And there's some other good performances in it. Um, John C. Riley, William H. Macy. Uh, but there's one performance in particular that I absolutely hated in this movie. And it really affected the way I looked at the movie. And I don't even remember the, the woman's name. Because she was only in a few movies. And um, she was in Boogie Nights as well. by uh, Directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. And... Um, she was actually pretty good in Boogie Nights, but in this movie, she she plays a cokehead, and uh, you know I've known a lot of cokeheads, and uh, they don't behave anything like this woman. I mean, she's it's just like this over the top, um, constantly taking a deep breath in, uh, 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 like just too much to <laughs> the point she wasn't trying to start a business with anyone or like you know <laughs> no like, it, it it was just write a screenplay nothing like that because no. that's what cokeheads do no <laughs> no this woman had no ambition her only ambition in life was to do more coke um so she was a true cokehead but her performance was really odd and if you guys happen to watch magnolia I'd, I'd really appreciate um if you have seen it or if you plan on watching it, I'd like you guys to watch it. And I would like to hear if I'm not just imagining this performance being over the top or if it really was as bad as I thought it was. Um, but back to A Quiet Place. Um, yeah, the performances were good. But really what stood out about A Quiet Place was the concept. Um, 
like I said, there was some plot holes, but they made up for the plot holes by doing a lot of really clever things to um, kind of, uh, you know, uh, I- explain things. Like, you know, like uh, in order to avoid making sound so the monsters couldn't hear them, they have to walk, they create like sand paths through the city. So there's a lot of really cool little you know clever things like that and although you know it might not sound like that big of a there's the movie is chocked full of stuff like that and not to mention just really what made the movie go by fast to me i think what immersed me in it so much was the tension i mean the tension in this movie is just like you're just on the edge of your seat um so i i would recommend it it was pretty good yeah i I, i've uh passed by it sometimes i've uh seen some trailers for it. it it I haven't actually watched it yet, but it just looked uh, it looked interesting to me because I'm a big horror movie fan. That's like my favorite genre, mm-hmm. uh, and supposedly this is a good one. Uh, it, it seems like rarer and rarer they're coming out with uh, horror movies that are really worth a person's time. You have to kind of look for good ones to watch. A lot of the time, the the mainstream ones that are released are actually some of the worst ones. So. Yeah. kind of have to you have to dig for good horror movies so when one comes out that's that's kind of uh celebrated and is getting some attention to me that's that's worth lo- looking into you know i think you're gonna see kind of a resurgence in horror though i, I think fucking that, hope so man well i think here's what i here's my prediction i have a feeling with like the success of it did you end up seeing it i did i liked it yeah it was so, it was, it was funny it was like uh he, here's what it was to me it was like the Avengers of horror movies. Okay. It was like it had it had a it was just scary enough. It had a, a kind of a Freddy Krueger esque protagonist. It had not not in the sense that it was similar to Freddy Krueger, but he has a, a charismatic. It kind of reminded me of those '80s genre of horror movies in that you have a main protagonist. Like it is almost like the superhero yeah. of the movie. You know I, I, I get mean? what you mean. Like how how the uh, how the how the character is is the villain, is the one that's yeah, killing everybody. Yeah. Antagonist, I should say, not well, protagonist. Protagonist is probably a good way of putting it, because protagonist doesn't necessarily mean the good guy. The good right. guy, like, that's not what a protagonist is. The character, it's the character that the story circulates around, and in this, yeah, yeah. it's more about it than it is about any of the kids. Yeah, it's, well, uh, it, it, same with Freddy Krueger right, and Jason, Jason Voorhees. Michael and, Myers. Yeah, yeah the, those, those became like household names. I mean, those, those characters, like... Michael Myers, Jason, Freddy Krueger, Hellraiser, Candyman, mm. all that shit. Chucky, Leprechaun. Those were like the the universal monsters of the 80s and 90s. And that's a really interesting thing to like put those together because I, I we did I didn't realize how long of a period of time we had the uh, the killer and the villain of horror movies where they had so much personality, where they were where they weren't just these like demonic figures that were that were snatching you out of uh out of reality and murdering you in whatever creative or gruesome way that they can they would have these fucking quips and like funny shit they would say before they kill you or like they'd make jokes and it was just right. like yeah they became characters yeah. into themselves yeah and, and they you know there was a um i watched a doc a couple of horror movie documentaries that kind of take note of that and one of the ones I was watching was a Nightmare on Elm Street documentary that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. And they have interviews with Wes Craven on there because um, he directed, you know, the original Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm-hmm. And he talks about when that shift happened. And um, 
he talked about how you know Freddy Krueger was kind of the first uh, horror villain that you kind of rooted for. You know, you, you like mm-hmm. you wanted to see Freddy Krueger kill some people. And um, there's actually a really interesting. This is part of what makes Wes Craven so brilliant. Um, is that he was so self-aware. He was able to take that that thing that happened with with Freddy Krueger. Where if you guys, you know, I was alive for one year of the 80s, but from what I'm told, when a new Freddy Krueger movie would come out, you know, you'd get teenagers going to the theater, and when somebody would die, they would start clapping, oh, they yeah. would cheer, people are throwing popcorn around. And Wes Craven is so brilliant because he comes back in the 90s, and he was kind of in a little bit of a slump, and then he starts directing Scream 1 and 2. And there's this thing that he did at the beginning of, and I'm going to tie this back into It. Because there was this thing that he did at the beginning of Scream 2, where if you guys remember at the beginning of that movie, that that movie, it's um, I think it's Omar Epps and uh, and uh, Jada Pinkett Smith. They're a couple, and they go mm-hmm. to see Scream, but it's called Stab in the yeah, movie. Yeah, they go to Stab. see Stab. Yeah, yeah. And remember the audience is cheering. They're like, "Don't answer the phone!" And like everybody's <laughs> throwing popcorn around. It's this big old crazy event, right? When I went to go see it. It was like that. It was the strangest thing. Yeah. I've never been to a horror movie where this happened. So we went to go see it on it was opening a, night. Like a totally interactive crowd. Exactly. And everything. Yeah. Yes. And I've never been to a horror movie where it was like that. We go to see it on opening night and it was mostly like 19, 18 year olds. And I was like, fuck, I hate teenagers. But that's <laughs> beside the point. So um, mostly younger, younger crowd. And there's a scene at the beginning of the new it. Spoiler alert. Go fuck yourself if you haven't seen it. Um, new one where in in the first like what 10 minutes of the movie georgie gets his arm ripped off and right. it like carries it back into the sewer when yeah. georgie got his arm ripped off i couldn't believe it the entire crowd started cheering like, yeah clapping. fuck that little kid yeah. rip his arm off they were like yeah they started cheering and clapping the whole crowd yeah. it was like being at a football game yeah and i was like this is the weirdest thing ever but it was so to me it was so powerful because it was coming full circle. You know, you had Freddy Krueger in the 1980s where people would go to see his movies and do that. You had Scream 2 where Wes Craven kind of, he was very self-aware and he kind of almost critiqued that and made a commentary on that. And then here we are another 20 years later and it's, it's again, it just goes to show you what people really truly love about horror movies is they like to go and be scared and have right. fun. So I think there's a uh, there's a specific brand of levity that comes with horror movies where it's like we're going so far off the deep end of uh, of of evil and cruelty and shit that we shouldn't be okay with. Right. But we're so far off the deep end with it. it it's it's like uh, it, it's almost like it comes full circle with comedy. Yeah. It's a different kind of satisfaction, but it's a similar. Uh, it, it's a different brand, but it's a similar kind. Like yes. We, it's the most, it's the most, I think it's the most it, mainstream of the horror brands, right? Well, it's, it's just, it's a, it's a visceral kind of enjoyment. It's yeah. It's purely like, this isn't poetry. This isn't fucking Shakespeare. This is, uh, this is blood and guts and nightmares. And we're just going to enjoy it for the extreme, the extremity that it is. Right. Not... Yeah. You know, it's like I like I was listening to Jim Jeffries talk the other day about how like it how if it wasn't comedy, what he's saying is horrible. You know, right? But it's comedy. 
If yeah. it wasn't a horror movie, if we were watching fucking clowns with razor teeth rip little boys' arms off, we'd be horrified. Right. But we're watching it on a movie where it's not real and it's fucking fun because of it. Yeah, and I think that's where, you know, you get these, like, these, uh, you know, remember, like, back in the, the late 90s after, like, Columbine happened and you had all these, like, senators and... Violent video games yeah, are the cause of our yeah. like, and it's like no, that's the they're kind of totally missing the point with yeah. that. You know, like if somebody is 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 a psychopath and they have mental health issues, and they're gonna go and you know shoot up a bunch of people or do whatever, mm-hmm. they were gonna have those issues regardless. A fucking video game is not is or movie is not going to send them it's over like, the uh, edge. What was that movie that, that was uh, big when we were kids? We were pretty young when it came. I think it was like Paradise Lost. It was that uh, that yeah. documentary about so, those those kids yeah, that got arrested. Paradise Lost was a really, really good documentary yeah. about the, uh, those, they called them the West Memphis yeah. Three. Because they, um, they, they were arrested like almost solely on the fact that they were like goth kids and they listened to Metallica. Yes, yeah, and they lived in a real um, kind of a... God, it was like, like a tiny, southern southern like a, town, a really yeah. small southern town. Yeah, and they were the and only were, kind of like metal. They were heavily discriminated town. against yeah. because of that. And they were they were falsely they were falsely accused, and then they were imprisoned for like I think they did like was it a, murder? So they murdered. It was murder. Like somebody yeah, got it was murdered. Two, and then, a, like, a couple of uh, I think it was a one or two children. And they were like, were well, murdered. these devil worshiper kids that, yeah. with their Metallica posters yeah. and and their black hair and it yeah, was like, and they were they were falsely accused and they they yeah and they uh, they they but they got released. They got released. Uh, Did they? Yeah, they got, cool. no, they got released in the last few. I think it was like five years ago, yeah, maybe. So recently, and, yeah, because this documentary came out when we were fucking kids. Yeah, they we did. Really I young. think they did. At, I think they did at least twenty years. I want to say, but they did a lot of time. And uh, the guy who, the, kind of the main guy of the three, I don't know why, he just kind of stood out. His name is Damien Eccles. Yeah, and he, uh, yeah, I remember he, that fucking name, yeah, Damien Eccles. He, yeah. he, uh, he does like a lot of speeches now, and he kind of, I think he kind of speaks against... Uh, you know that whole thing like false, false imprisonment. imprisonment yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's a pretty good um, that's a pretty standard thing to be well, against you know, here's the <laughs> fucked up thing is they were you know what i'm pro false imprisonment <laughs> <laughs> they we need to see more innocent people behind bars well, and uh well you know here's the thing like the the really uh funny th- not even funny just sad thing about that is even when they released them they did it with a prerequisite that damien eccles and the other two guys that were in prison they had to uh they had to go back and plead like uh god what was it they had to go back and plead uh they still had to plead guilty or mm-hmm. something like that in order to be released really so it was like kind of this fucked up thing where the judge was like it's almost like they they knew they were wrong but they didn't want to fully yeah. admit it so we they can't still, really accept that this they, is our fault so right so the kids the these poor kids still had to admit uh some kind of guilt despite not being guilty of anything yeah so it's kind of just shows you how fucked up the uh, a, justice system yeah. is what over a, there what an outrageous thing too that like you know what that is is the the courts going like well we're never going to catch the guy who actually did this so we got to pin it on somebody right so it's like we're just gonna pretend like we got it right yeah <laughs> we, yeah, we no, know for sure that we did it wrong yeah you know and um one thing I how, before how I, did we get onto this because I, I we were well, we were talking about horror movies we, yeah. and then that's what I wanted to come back yeah, to yeah, because the, I was yeah, thinking the about effects that. of media on society right right all right right yeah right. and uh, one thing I wanted to um, I don't know if you heard they're releasing a new Halloween this October are they 
Yeah, and it's it's they really do that every, every no no couple but, but years, listen, but all right? Like, there's a twist, okay? Is it is now, it still Rob Zombie directing no, it? No, thank right, God, good. Uh, good. Because Rob, Rob Zombie is, now I've met people who enjoyed the Rob Zombie Halloweens, and I don't think they were absolutely terrible. But here's why the Rob Zombie Halloweens are fundamentally bad. Rob Zombie took what made Michael Myers scary, and he ripped it all apart. So if you think back to me now, if you were to ask me. What's your single favorite horror movie of all time? Like, what is the most scary horror movie to me? It's Halloween. Mm -hmm. I think Halloween is like the creepiest. Just like the scene at the beginning where, you know, Michael Myers. Y'all don't want to go down this road with me. I'm going to tell you about some shit that's going to fuck your nightmares up. So the scene where Michael Myers is following Jamie Lee Curtis and you just get Mm -hmm. little glimpses of him. And then at the end when he's, um, to me, this my probably my single scariest movie scene of all time is when jamie lee curtis is in the uh, closet and michael myers bursts through the closet and like she's like stabs him with Mm -hmm. a wire coat hanger or something like that and he's just like "Hmm?" yeah and he's just so creepy and so what was scary about michael myers though is they give you just very little information about what made michael myers what he was Mm -hmm. all they give you is that he killed his sister when he was young and he's just an evil kid they don't explain why he's evil and he's essentially like He's essentially inhuman. He's, he's inhuman. Like he, yeah. He's a. He is a. He's the shell of a human. Right. But he has no empathy. He yes. has No. Nothing relatable. When, when, when he doesn't doctor, speak. He yes. doesn't. You yes. Know. When when uh, Donald is it Donald Sutherland? Some I don't remember his name. But when no. Doctor Loomis in the movie, his Michael Myers, uh, his no, it wasn't psychiatrist. Do- are, you, are you talking about in the um, in the newer one or in no the older no in the older one in the older yeah, one? Definitely wasn't Donald Sutherland. I don't, it, I don't yeah, actually it wasn't know that Donald Sutherland. I don't. I know the actor. But Doctor Loomis is his name in the movie. And he uh, he's uh, he's talking about Michael Myers, and he goes, he has the blackest eyes. And when he's talking about him, what he's telling you is, yeah, yeah he this kid is he's basically telling you that this kid is unbelievably evil. Like there's no redeeming qualities mm-hmm. there's, in him. There's you no, can't fix this yeah. kid. There's no humanity no. in this. And what Rob Zombie did was he took you right away and he showed you the evolution of Michael Myers as a child and showed you his fucked up family background and he humanized him which mm-hmm. was a mistake because the second you humanize the killer and you make them relatable then you become sympathetic towards them and then yeah. that kind of takes away from the it takes away fear when yeah. when they're when they're relatable absolutely I'll, I'll, I like to make this point as well about how um there's a physical aspect to the 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 scariness as well. Like in the real world, sure, it's scarier to be attacked by a giant muscle-bound juggernaut of a human being, Jason Voorhees. Right, but in the in the <clears throat> the way that the Michael Myers character is portrayed in the in the classics, the originals, is this creeping, following slow moving normal sized guy who can fit in a hallway and everything like everyone else yeah and then the uh the rob zombie one is this big fucking monster who's like nine feet tall (laughs) he's like like yeah he's like yeah kane from the deputy Danny Trejo's head and smashing <laughs> it through a fucking sink. He's like, I was good to you. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just so. All right, so I, I just find that less scary. I think that's more like it is less real scary. world that that would be scary. But as a movie, the way that that character is, it's not the same. It doesn't give you the same sort of like tension. This like no, no yeah. and that's what Halloween did masterfully. 
the original Halloween was that the tension in that movie is just it just creeps up on you little by little, mm-hmm. little by little. And John Carpenter is just a genius because he went in there and he actually. Um, do you know, Halloween is actually the highest grossing independent movie of all time. Um, he made that movie on like almost no budget. And he really, when John Carpenter made that movie, he put his balls on the line mm-hmm. because he told them, he, he was barely getting the movie made out as, as it was. But he was insistent. If you look at all the old Halloween movie posters, it says John Carpenter's Halloween. Yeah. At the time, it was considered very high praise if a director could put you know stanley kubrick's 2001 yeah. or uh, they, if they could slap really their name that on the if title that, if, that, if you that movie is right. prestigious right yeah. and john carpenter um made it a point that they allowed him to do that and he made a big deal about it yeah and they almost didn't let him make the movie because of it but he knew how important it was to have john carpenter's halloween because he knew that instantly if he this that, movie was a yeah. success and they saw that it was going to put him on the map and it did. He did that with the thing too. Yeah, and yeah. Which uh, gets a lot of flack now when people look back and watch that movie because it it didn't age well. But to be honest, for its time, that was such a fucking oh yeah, excellent I love movie. the thing. I watch it every once in a while. The thing is like, one of my favorite. Uh, yeah, the thing is awesome. That's like the ultimate. Uh, it's you know, just nail biting yeah. tension. Oh, type for movie. sure. The, I mean, what a what a concept too. Like it was one of the one of the original movies where you're just literally like it could be anyone. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's the no right is, way for this to to play out. Like, the thing is, is that the thing is one of those movies where if you're like a movie geek, you love it. Like yeah. the thing is very well known among movie geeks because it I, influenced so many things that came after mm-hmm. it. But. Um, I, you know, when you try and show it to somebody who's not kind of like a genre so, yeah. fan, they don't really get into or, it. Or someone who just hasn't seen it before, and you try to show it to them in fucking 2018, right. they're going to be like, why are they so afraid of all that Play-Doh? <laughs> right, yeah. like, and they don't realize how good... I think it was um, it was either Rick Baker or Tom Savini that did the, uh, the special effects on that movie. But the special effects are fucking amazing on that movie. Yeah. Um, I, I love that old school actual like animatronic. I, I prefer animatronics and uh and yeah. puppetry to do yeah, uh do cgi too. like completely um, like uh the whole um i always call him benicio del toro guillermo del toro directing style yeah. where he always does puppets instead of uh instead of he, well, he cgi did, it's yes. so much better he man. does a great job of he'll and he'll actually throw a little cgi on there but he'll sure. just kind of layer it on top of so the actual physical as a tool, but yeah. not as the entire scene. Exactly. Like and he did an amazing job with. If you guys haven't seen Shape of Water, um, oh yeah, that man. Movie. All right, you know what? I just want to throw this out there since we're getting onto Shape of Water. <laughs> um, I don't know the actor's name. General Zod. Do you know? Like he was oh, Gen- Michael Shannon. Michael Shannon. God, he just fucking killed it. He was the funniest guy. Yeah, he's, he was so racist. He's such a creep. He was so like misogynistic. <laughs> Everything he said had me, me and my roommate Richard. We watched it together. Everything he said had me and Richard just in stitches, just he, cracking up. Uh, like Michael Shannon is astounding at playing a creep. Yeah, he just plays such a good. He creep. was so great. He like gets his finger bit off, and the what does the guy say? He's like, I heard you got a, <laughs> heard you got yourself a little accent. He's all well. Still got my fi- my ring finger, my trigger finger, and my pussy finger. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the scene where he's having sex with his wife is disgusting. Oh, that's God. one of the worst yeah. sex scenes. It's gruesome. Um, guys, check that out. But so let me finish this thing on the Halloween thing. Um, so the new Halloween they're coming out with is produced. I think it's produced by Danny McBride. I love of it already. Eastbound and Down yeah. fame, who apparently is like a massive Halloween fan. 
Um, he's producing it. Here's what I love about this new Halloween. They're nixing all the sequels. In this new Halloween, none of the sequels happened. It was only the first Halloween. Okay. Great start because most of the sequels kind of sucked. Yeah, yeah. No, um, no. So they're just they're like, so you know you what? You didn't like Halloween Five, where all the kids <laughs> yeah. like the, got got, got uh, Michael Myers masks and what? like got possessed. And oh no, you're talking about uh, Halloween Two, right? No, I think it was Halloween Five or like there was, was one. That of, that? Which well, one it was, was one the, of the ones there was like one in called, the middle. There was one called Season of the Witch or Halloween Three. There was one I think called, it, it might have been Three. Yeah, that's where they get like pumpkin masks. Yeah, the and, pumpkin masks. Okay. So now I've had that's an interesting one because I've had because um, it was terrible. I think it's fucking horrible. I think it's, that that was the one epic, that had Paul Rudd on it. I think right? it's, no, that was no, that was Halloween. Uh, that was the one that came out in the nineties. That was, one did yeah, have Paul Rudd. That, he no, was like the that, weirdo in the yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was the nineties one. I remember that. But yeah. uh, no, Halloween three, season of the witch. In my opinion, is it? epic piece of shit and people will try and go back and defend it and talk about how it's like a there's this whole thing on the internet now where they're talking about how it's an undiscovered masterpiece and <laughs> no like, what are you guys talking the about fuck is saying this that is garbage An this undiscovered is, masterpiece no yeah go if you i that movie fucking sucks it's a piece of shit yeah don't it's, watch it yeah or don't, do watch don't it even, yeah do watch, watch it, it but know what you're going tell into. me how shitty it is yeah um, message us directly both of yes, us yes please do and and tell us your thoughts on that movie so i'm probably gonna watch it later today just because just we brought to, it up yeah like, you know what that's actually let's make it a point for our next yeah. podcast we're gonna, we're gonna watch season I'm of the witch this down we're watching uh we're halloween gonna, season of the witch we're gonna we're, pick it apart I have a feeling that whoever directed Season of the Witch uh, also directed Never Back Down 2. There's a good, <laughs> there's a really realistic chance of that. Uh, so, yeah, this new Halloween, it's taking place 40 years to the date after the original, and it's going to have Jamie Lee Curtis in it. Really? It's going to have, get this, they're getting the guy who played the original Michael Myers. He's playing him again. Fuck yeah. So they're bringing back the OGs. You know, they're doing it up. Now, what okay. I would love, I don't know if they're doing it or not. What I would love, John Carpenter is still alive. If I would he was love, like a consulting director or something well, like or, yeah. or if they had him do the score. Because that's oh, the yeah. most underappreciated. Now, not, John Carpenter always did the score. For he his did the music, score. John Carpenter I forgot about created that. the yeah. keyboard, the whole thing. For And what people don't realize is that the key. So do you realize the, what a, like, I'm, 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 not trying to keep using this word, but what a visceral aspect that is to uh, absolutely to movies where so, you're you're watching and experiencing. But when the director, the person who is is at the helm of how you're going to experience this movie, it's their vision that they're portraying to you is controlling what you're hearing as yes, well. Yes. What a what an impact that makes. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And what John Carpenter did for that movie is that so this is an interesting fact and if you guys haven't seen there's a very i think it's on youtube there's a really interesting documentary on halloween on uh, youtube and um, they talk about this in the documentaries how john carpenter first screened halloween with no music mm -hmm. so he showed it to a screen showed it to a group of uh, people and they hated it yeah. they're like this movie fucking sucks what is this crap it's, it's so John boring. Carpenter, it's just this guy walking around yeah john carpenter goes back and creates the score for halloween and he in my opinion, the score for Halloween is the best score of all time. Mm -hmm. You're never going to find a better one. Most people don't even realize how, not just movie music, but how much music that John Carpenter influenced. That whole synth sound. that mm -hmm. kid, Like he, 
that that's that is the greatest score of all time. I can't think of anything better than the it's it's it completely it creates a whole new atmosphere in that movie. It's almost like he he he's one of the original uh, hip hop loop creators. In a way, it's like yeah, it's like kind of is like a hip hop loop. It is like very it, much so. Yeah, yeah. So he John Carpenter created that. So that that whole movie is like that's his baby. Yeah, and um, watch that documentary if you guys. I'm, get I'm a, a chance. big John Carpenter fan. I'm like I think John Carpenter is one of the all time great directors. I, I don't really think he gets enough uh, enough credit. He doesn't. He, he's a, he's well known. He's he's top tier as far as anyone's concerned. But like. There, well, people. I think people within the uh, the, the uh, film industry, they like to kind of belittle horror as a genre. Absolutely, you know, it, it's it's constantly getting a, you know, like you'll never hear the thing that's strange to me is that in a, in, a, in an Oscar race or something mm-hmm. like that, they'll only pick. Um, the, for best picture, you know, they'll pick like dramas. Like, yeah. why can't a horror movie? It's, like, why it, yeah, can't these other genres win yeah. best picture? It's, I don't understand it's, it. It's almost like, well, in fairness, nobody really. It, it's really rare nowadays, at least, that a that an honest effort is made in making a, a horror movie into a good movie. It doesn't happen that much, but, um, yeah, it's it's almost as if like a movie has to be. You have to try to enjoy a movie for it to be considered a good movie. Right. So you have to you have to sit there and pay attention and be like, all right, well, I can see how this could be. Well, it's not entertaining, but I see the point. <laughs> right. Well, you know what I've always said. This is what I when whenever it's whenever I go see a movie with Ariana, she kind of has. A, I have a lot more patience with my movies, and I can sit through a drama. Mm-hmm. That's hard for her sometimes. We don't always agree on the movies we see. But as far as movies go, as long as it makes me feel something, usually I'll like it. Even if it makes me feel sad, even if it makes me feel, you know, whatever. As long as it doesn't make me feel hatred for how shitty the movie is, then I could probably like it. Um, There's a difference between, like... uh appreciating a movie right. and actually enjoying right. it. But like, but 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 I, but I see what but, but I, what I was what I was going to touch on is I see what you're saying like when you have to dis, when you have to really search for things to appreciate in a movie, then how much do you really enjoy it? If right. You have to search that hard to find them. If you have you know? to make a conscious effort to like the movie. Right. You'd be like, "Oh, yeah, I get it because his father like, yeah. oh, you know, yeah, no, it's I, I was you're, talk- you're trying. <laughs> I, I was talking about this the other day. We were at a restaurant, and they had these paintings up at the restaurant. Mm-hmm. And to me, they just looked like really shitty paintings because mm-hmm. they were just there. I don't know if you would call them abstract or whatever. Surrealist? No, they were like um, they were just like these really simple paintings of like a beach with a boardwalk, but okay. they were purposefully out of perspective. And then to me, it just looked like a three year old painted it. Mm-hmm. And then Ariana was like, well, you know, it's art, it's subjective, and there's... And I guess for so, me, because... I feel like that's an excuse for art to just be shitty. That's what <laughs> I said, because I was like, I, and I don't know if I look at it different, because, you know, I grew up doing art and drawing and stuff like that. So, I, to uh, me, I don't necessarily... I do think that art is subjective, but I also think that there should be an underlying amount of skill. So, I want to I wanna talk right now, since we're on this subject, about a little thing that uh, I learned about, like... I'm not an expert in art, but I, I've taken a couple um, art history, art appreciation classes, so I have a little bit of a uh, little bit of background in this. 
And there is a, a subcategory of art that I think should be obliterated from the history of, of humankind. And that is called Dada art. Yeah, Dada art. I think that is the biggest fucking sham. It the, is. The whole, uh, it's art because it's art. It's, it's the whole, it's art because we say it is. No, a gold urinal with the words Man Ray written on them yeah. is not art. Nobody, yep. you didn't, you didn't put effort into creating that. You didn't put, you didn't put, there's no meaning into it. There's nothing that makes that art aside from well, someone well, saying Keith, that it's art. Well, Keith, an artist would argue that the fact that it contains no meaning is artistic in right. itself. And that, that's the, that's the idea yeah. behind Dada. Is yeah, it? exactly. It's, it's the fact, in fact, specifically, that is the meaning. Behind, yeah. behind Dada art, Dada art is art with no with no meaning aside from the fact that someone says it's art, and I now, feel like that's a fucking huge cop out. I think that's a fucking it cop is. Out. And here's the problem with that type of art is because you have it's 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 really stems from and a, it, Dadaism started as a kind of a a, a kind of a fuck you to the yeah, classical. You know art standards but those standards are there for a reason it's because it's a skill that somebody takes time and hours to get good at and to create a good piece yeah. of art it's it's like when i hear when i hear a musician write lyrics and then i hear some other musician just say words set like over over a beat i go well i prefer the one with lyrics why because those lyrics had rules to how that how they were formulated and that gave a structure to why it sounds better to me. Right, and you can take now, and here's a, here's a good example. Like you can take like a, um, you know, like a uh, like a Pablo Picasso, who you know he he was known for doing like abstract pieces cubism. of art, cubism, yeah. yeah. But if you actually look at his art closely within that cubism, there's still some structure. There's structure. There's purpose. And there's there's actual. The it's when when you see those kinds of the art. From an expert artist like Pablo Picasso, there are mathematical equations within those exactly. separated uh, yes. cubes, and there's a there's a, a structure that will blow your mind that you, unless it's you're there, a mathematical expert, right. you couldn't figure it yeah, out. Yeah, and there's a like, structure that's there, but you don't even know it's there, mm -hmm. and that's what makes it pleasing to the eye. But yeah. and what people don't realize with somebody like Pablo Picasso too is that prior to him doing cubism, he was like an amazing traditional he was, artist. He was a naturalist, young artist. prodigy. Yeah. So he got so good, he became such a master, and he got so bored with being a master early on that he went a different direction. So see, I can appreciate mm -hmm. that because there's a sub, there's a prerequisite skill there. There's a subset of skills that um, preluded that, and that made his abstract stuff that much better. But so, then when you have somebody taking a fucking picture of a goddamn toilet seat or a fucking urinal, yeah. it's like, come on, um, man. That's, 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 that's nothing. You're going to have to forgive me here because I, f I always forget which one it is uh, between, like, I always get Monet and Mondrian mixed up. I think it's Mondrian who uh, does the, I think they're called concentric lines where he does the, there'll be a straight line and then there would be these boxes of solid color it'd be like a yellow box and next would be like a blue box it's a different size yeah i think that is mondrian because monet so, monet was like the uh i think he was like an impressionist or something yeah, so mondrian and i i always hated that style because i thought like okay so it's a fucking straight line and a, and a block of color fascinating but his early work he used to draw these uh he he it, when 
he mastered naturalism as his first style where he would draw something and it would look like he a photograph of it he would draw or paint excuse me he would paint these fucking gorgeous like like flowers it would be like a there it would be like a picture of like a rose and it mm-hmm. would look like real but it would it would be like the most beautiful rose you've ever seen it was like i i remember seeing that and just being like okay so I can respect what this guy's doing because he's using skills that he he that he mastered. Right. He he can do that stuff that that I see and is pleasing to me. And then he and he moved on to something else because he could draw your face like a picture. Right. And that would be no problem. Right. So well, and and the thing about uh you know the world of fine art is just bullshit. It's total bullshit. Because that's what subjective means. Exactly. If someone says it's subjective, it's, that just means it's and bullshit. And it's very much a status thing, just like the world of like to me, like the world of fine art is bullshit. It's almost like the same thing. Now, I don't think that the world of like fine wine or something like that is necessarily bullshit. Like I think there is, of course, there is such a thing as good tasting wines, right? But it's not so much the wine itself as it is the 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 culture. You know the, what name I mean? of, the name of the vineyard. Right. And, uh, and it's all that bullshit. And it's about, it's almost like if a group of people decides that it's good, then it's good. And it's kind of the same thing with fine art. I mean, you could get a really famous artist who just decides to take a canvas and just paint it blue. And if it's done by this specific artist, then these fine art fucking snobs are going to decide, they're going to talk themselves into thinking it's good. De- depending on what the price is. So if this guy sets the price at, <laughs> here's my famous blue painting for a million dollars, they're going to be like, oh, you look see what the, he did well, here. You see the, the depth the, the of tone the blue. Of when blue, you look into it, it pulls it really... you in differently yeah. than other tones of blue. It's, they'll talk themselves into it. And they just, to me, that's idiotic. Um, it, a really good movie you guys should see if you haven't seen it that kind of exposes that world. I haven't seen that. Okay. Um, or no, is it the circle? Or am I talking about no the square or something? I I, I think I know what you're talking I, about. I haven't but, seen that one yet, but yeah. I saw the trailer for it, and that's yeah. basically what it is. No, the, there's 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 another one that kind of um, it's called Exit Through the Gift Shop, and it's about this guy who his name is um, God. What the fuck is? Well, there's the you got everybody knows who Banksy is. He's like the famous mm-hmm. graffiti artist, and. There's this guy named Terry who he hires, um, who kind of follows them around while they're doing their graffiti work. And uh, Terry is doing all this filming while he's following them around. And Terry is claiming that he's going to create a documentary for him. Well, halfway through, they realize that Terry doesn't even know how to edit a documentary. He doesn't even know what he's doing. He's, he's, they essentially think maybe he's just a fucking crazy guy who wants to hang around with us and film mm-hmm. us. So they discover this halfway through the you know, so-called documentary. And they discover that Terry films everything. He doesn't film just his time with them. He films all of his family time at home. He's just a serial filmer. A serial filmer. So then Terry decides that he wants to become an artist like Banksy. So Terry creates this whole persona called Mr. Brainwash. And he starts guerrilla marketing and promoting this whole event that he's going to put on in Los Angeles. Um, where Mr. Brainwash is going to premiere all of his artwork. So Terry hires a team of people to create all these giant pieces of uh, art installations for him. And it's this whole big fucking production. He gets all this buzz around it. And before you know it, 
you know these these pieces are selling and the fine mm-hmm. art world is buzzing and it's all about this mr brainwash character okay and it's super interesting because it shows you it, how easy it is to kind of il- infiltrate that culture and about how this guy has no skill in art it's how, how it's can got, just create yeah. through hype you know right. it's just hype that's what it is it's literally hype. literally positions himself to the to the top shelf of this game just by buying out space and right. and self-promotion right with no actual skill no development he just decided one day that that's what he's going to do what was this called again uh exit through the gift shop exit through the gift shop i'll have yeah. to look into that it sounds interesting it's really interesting they have he he gets hooked up with through the course of the documentary um it kind of gives you a little bit of history on Richard Ferry, the guy who um, the guy who started Obey mm-hmm. in the '90s, and it gives you this whole kind of background of street art as well. I'm I'm very uh, like I like art culture and art history. I'm like I'm, I'm I'm I got no real art skills as a like with my own hands, but I like the I like to learn about it. I think it's very interesting. I like to learn about artists who. Uh, a lot of the time, they have really interesting stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a whole a whole report on uh, on Van Gogh one time. That was really fun. Van Gogh he, basically yeah. just had a horrible life. Oh, Everything horrible. about his entire existence was just miserable. Yeah, he, uh, he's he's the most interesting of he, uh, he the the whole uh, thing about him cutting his his ear off his ear. that was like uh, way over exaggerated and means like he cut like a piece of his ear off. I think it was even an accident, and he just like. <laughs> Uh, I it, it was a while ago, and I learned wasn't about there this, a thing like, with Van Gogh where they said that, um, like, if you, you using numbers or something like that, you could like maybe recreate some of his paintings or some shit like that. I thought I had heard. Yeah, that, he, I, there's there's some kind of mathematical like yeah. system to his like I don't, I don't know, but like uh, the the thing the most that I studied about Van Gogh was more about like what happened in his life. Yeah, like he traveled like, around. He never had a penny. In his entire life, he was never appreciated until after he died. He was sick most of the time. He was like in love with this one girl who, uh, she 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 was kind of a bitch. <laughs> she <laughs> she let him on and stuff, and like she kind of like stayed stayed tight with him. But like she would answer his letters, but then she would never bang him. And that was the girl he like yeah. sent his ear to. Uh, That's he should have sent her his. <laughs> Remember they did that on Family Guy? It was like, uh, it was like, here, I got you this, and she opens it up as his ear, and she's like, oh my god, I, like, well, well, what are we gonna do about our kids? Like, oh, you wanted kids? Well, I probably shouldn't have gotten you this then. <laughs> he hands her like a long box. <laughs> you probably should have told me that before I got you this. Family, Family Guy. Do you remember there was an episode of South Park where they go, Simpsons did it, Simpsons did it. That's what Family Guy... So there's this episode of South Park they had years ago where uh, the whole premise of the episode is about how you can't do anything the Simpsons haven't done already. Yeah. And that's like Family Guy at this point. Like, that just proves that. That, like, you know, like these... these um, these long running cartoons mm-hmm. that have to cycle eventually, through all this yeah. material every week yeah. like they, they, they just they just do everything they eventually go through everything the thing about south park is like they they had the system down best because they would be responding to what's currently going on yeah, so they didn't they didn't really yeah. go back that much no south park is very unique mm-hmm. in that regard a lot of people don't 
uh, know that that yeah, South Park it was uh, written the week of on a weekly basis. It was so, usually like, written like together. the day of. Like it was well, yeah, twenty four hours. No, yeah, like, sometimes yeah, they, they they have a they have a the documentary yeah. like uh, what was it called? 20, some some about twenty four hours. Yeah, something. like. But yeah, uh, they, they a lot of times they would be finishing up an episode the day that it aired. Yeah. Um, yeah, South Park is pretty impressive in that regard. Well, uh, Matt Stone and Trey Parker are actual. Uh, they they are uh, content providing geniuses. They they're truly gifted at creating content. Um, all their movies. I, I I've never seen uh, Book of Mormon, but I, I'm I, told that it's it's like a it's an actually exceptional piece of uh, theater, not just for how funny it is, but just like that's what Wyatt went to go see it live, and mm-hmm. he said that it's hilarious. Yeah. Like laugh out. Like I, I I know a couple of other people that saw it actually, and they said it's hilarious. Right. Uh, it's supposed to be really really good, and uh, yeah, Mastodon and Trey Parker are just geniuses. I mean, they. I'm pretty much a fan of everything they've done. I've never Even seen their, something that they created that I wasn't. That's what I was like, gonna say. Like I loved yeah. like basketball. Basketball Even, was great. I love that. To me, that's one of the most underrated comedies. Like there's a scene, the, my favorite scene in basketball. There's a scene where um, the uh, the evil billionaire team owner of mm-hmm. the rival team is taking them <laughs> through, and he's showing them all of his famous sports yeah. memorabilia, and he shows them like Ty Cobb's baseball bat and like you know famous baseball that was caught. And then you see in the background in a glass uh, case, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar just sitting there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, towards the end of the scene, he opens a glass case and he clocks out. He has like a yeah. punching card. And I just thought that was like the most clever thing. Um, he just pays Kareem Abdul-Jabbar on a on a time card basis. <laughs> so when we, we were just talking about, um, you know, how... Simpsons did it and about shows just you know some of these cartoons cycling through so many ideas and I just pulled up um, Simpsons are on this long-running hot streak now for predicting the future and I don't know if any of you guys have heard of this I didn't um, hear about this. I so, just saw the well, the, I just pulled yeah. up a list um, But they have all this weird shit that the Simpsons have like eerily predicted and I, I had heard of a lot of them before like Donald Trump becoming president 9-11 That's um, But I have a list of a few of them right here and um um, I see the tomato plant up on top. Yeah, like, toma- yeah. it's a tomato. Uh, one of them is a radiation spawn mutant tomatoes. Um, deformed vegetables, fruit reportedly pop up around Japan. So that's one of them. But there's a bunch of different ones. And you know, in 2008, Homer's voting machine changed his vote. Um, let's see. There's <laughs> some other interesting ones here. Um, in 1995, Lisa, Lisa's future fiance could verbally communicate with his watch. That's kind so of that's, a common one, though. That's that, like a that, Star Trek. That could be completely um, obvious that that was going to happen eventually. I kind of felt like, you know, there, as as computers become smaller and micro technologies sort of start to dominate the market, that that's an obvious trend that we're eventually going to have. Um, yeah. Yeah, in 1994, horse meat was a secret ingredient. Remember that big old horse meat thing? Yeah. Which I don't know, like, why, like, why exactly, if you're going to eat cows, why is, like, a horse any different, really? I feel like, a, first of all, I think horse meat is probably better for you. It's got to be, like, that's got to be a lean It's, it's cut, leaner. Right? Uh, I would imagine it'd be a lot more expensive, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, in 1994, an Apple product wasn't always sure what its owner was trying to say. That's that's a pretty interesting that's, one. That's I think, Siri actually. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, in 1991, Ringo, Ringo took decades to respond to his fans. 
don't, I don't understand that. I don't, one. Yeah, I don't uh, get that. Um, Yard work simulator, <laughs> Farmville. That's okay, a, I this, forgot about that. This that's is, hilarious. This is the funniest one so far, I think. Yeah. So, uh, in 1998, Springfield kids were stoked about a yard work simulator. I remember then, the episode when they're at the virtual reality thing, and, and they, they like, yeah, they put the kids in uh, the they, yard work simulator. They've got these two kids on The Simpsons with like VR headsets on, and they're like playing with this simulator of them doing yard work, and then you have Farmville ten years later. Which, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty fascinating. Um, in 1995, Lisa's future college librarian was a robot. And then they have this article here from 2011. Robots retrieve books in University of Chicago's new futuristic library. Robot librarians. It's pretty fascinating. You could definitely see that come. Um, let's see. 1995. Rolling Stones poster. Let's see. Anyways, you guys get the point. I don't want to go too long on this. But there's a shitload of Simpsons predictions. And there's some really, really... These, these ones that we have a list of right now aren't too crazy, but there's some really kind of creepy ones that you can find <laughs> online, and I would uh, encourage you guys to look into it if you get a chance. I'd um, also like to point out that all of these were from, like, the golden age of Simpsons episodes before they really fucking fell off. These were all, like, yeah, mid-90s. Yeah. yeah, and if you like, guys aren't aware, the, the Simpsons are, are notorious. There was, like, a certain season that says they supposedly well, got really bad after. I, I, I want to say there was a... Okay, so there was a long period of time that Conan O'Brien was writing for The Simpsons. And there was, like, a, there was a whole... I'm not saying it was exclusively Conan O'Brien, but... Um, he was heavily he involved, was, though. Yeah, there was a... There was a, a cast of writers that, right. that were working during that time. And I would say it's probably around the 11th, 12th, maybe 13th season that they basically just got an entire new cast of writers. Right. And there is a clear, clear drop in the quality of writing. The the joke making, the um, the style, uh, the 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 actual uh, the jokes become more. Uh, how do I put this? Like predictable. Mm-hmm. Um, and, well, and the, the, I think the Simpsons, when they first came out, they were, and I don't know if, uh, if it was more or less just a, a timing thing, but um, they were generally like a little more edgy when they first came out, right? They, they kind of got more mainstream yeah. as they as they went along. They got more flaccid. Like uh, the the Simpsons jokes just used to be so clever. They the things they would say were just so like smart and clever and really. Just killed me. So it looks like Conan O'Brien was a writer on The Simpsons from 91 to 93. Um, I know that... I wonder, was George Odenkirk a writer? No. So yeah, they had... they uh, Yeah, they did have some different writers early on. Um, let's see. Al Jean. Yeah. Matt Groening. Um, yeah, but I, I have heard that same thing. Um, and I know that... Um, there's some really interesting overlap. Like I was talking to my buddy yesterday and he was telling me, um, he was talking about that show Better Call Saul. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was talking about, I think it's, is, I think it's Bob Odenkirk on that show. Um, but uh, the, the guy who's on Better Call Saul, I guess he worked on, um, you know, they all worked on like Saturday Night Live together, mm-hmm. him and Conan and Steve Carell. And it was like before a lot of them really hit it big yeah. and got famous. When they were, when a lot of people were like writers. Well, you know, I've been listening to a lot of stand-up comedy lately. And what I'm finding is there's a lot of these uh, a lot of these comedians who are like actors and stuff now that you never really saw on uh, you never really saw them on Saturday Night Live, but they had a lot of them working as writers. They had tons of people like a lot of people in the comedy industry 
worked as writers and stuff on uh, Saturday Night Live, and a lot of them never even had skits that, that right, made, but yeah. they just had this huge staff of people because that's a place where a lot of people start their career. So right. they bring you on to Saturday Night Live, and they're like, hey, uh, killer be killed. You guys got anything for us? <laughs> and yeah. then most of them get fired. And they, they go on to be either like famous comedians or, or in the industry. But Yeah, it's fascinating because yeah. you have these behind-the-scenes dudes who are kind of, um, you know, secretly responsible for a lot of times for like a certain brand of humor that you might enjoy and you might not mm-hmm. even realize it, you know? Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, it says here Bob Odenkirk. Yeah, he worked. He worked on. Uh, I think he was. I think he was part of Gary and Ace, um, the incredible, the ambiguously gay duo on Saturday Night Live. Oh, yeah, he the was one of them, and then the other one was Steve Carell. Ace and Gary. Ace oh and my Gary. god, that was yeah. old school, man. Yeah, um, yeah. That's another one that really the quality of it has really diminished. I felt like like Saturday Night Live now. I try to watch it, and it's just like it's been a long time since I've tried. I would hate to speculate on something that I don't know. Well, uh, I. Every once in a while, they'll release like a skit that's kind of funny, mm-hmm. but uh, like I felt like they really they were hilarious to me in the nineties. Sure, like when they had no, uh, dude, they're, oh, that was the golden yeah. age for me. Will Ferrell, Chris Kattan, yeah. um, the Chris Farley, Chris Farley, Phil Hartman, dude, Adam Sandler. I mean, they had just a rap sheet of really funny guys all there at once. Chris Rock, David Spade. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then uh, Will Ferrell kind of came in later in the nineties. Will, Will I think. Ferrell was like the uh, was like the and he was like one of the last real funny guys. real funny people on yeah, that show. I agree. Yeah, and they did have some great. They had some fun, oh, decently funny people to come out of the two thousands, like a uh, Bill Hader. And, yeah, there you know, definitely was. Yeah, there definitely was still funny people going in and out of that show. Uh, it just didn't have like the overall like all star hilariousness that it had. No. No, like when we were kids. Yeah, uh, and Chris Farley was just like a force of nature. Like he was truly, man. That guy was. He, I don't think I've ever seen a more physically funny comedian. He was. Uh, he was elemental, man. He was just like. Yeah. It was. It was earth, wind, fire, and Chris Farley. Yes. Yeah. Breaking down walls of him of is laughter. A, like Matt Foley, the motivational mm-hmm. speaker is like that. You know, that's easily one of the best ever. My personal favorite uh, uh, SNL skit of all time is probably. Do you remember the the Schmitz gay one, the beer? Yeah, him and Adam Sandler. <laughs> They're all <laughs> walking like, to the Whoa! party. It was all the guys. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was all the guys in bikinis. And yeah. The, oh man, that is like I, I just love that. That's the funniest one. And then just Wolf making Farrell fun had of a, the uh, like. The the overtly fucking like sexual and masculine fucking yeah. beer commercials. Yes, yes. and they uh, you know there was funny. It was funny. It's, I heard a. Uh, have you, Have you heard James Adomian before? No. All right, he's super funny impressionist stand up comedian who also happens to be gay, mm-hmm. and he he has this thing about straight beer ads as one of his tracks on his uh, <laughs> on his special, and he's like he starts out he's like I got this thing about about watching these beer ads. It just. They, they come at you so aggressively, like, watch out, America. You might be too gay for our beer. <laughs> like, yeah, it's it's totally that. Just, like, flipped over the Schmitz gay. <laughs> yeah, do you remember, um, what was I going to say? I just totally lost my train of thought. Sorry, what was man. it? No, no. Um, 
I think I was thinking of a Will Ferrell. Oh, no. Okay. So there was a story I heard on a... It was somebody who was on a... I think it was a Jim Brewer. He came on Howard Stern one time. Mm. And I think he was talking about... If it wasn't Jim Brewer, it was somebody else who was on SNL. I don't remember. But they were talking about how Will Ferrell, if he was going to play a certain character on SNL that day, he, would, he wouldn't break character no matter what. So <laughs> he would even be that character backstage. Um, so they That's were awesome. talking about how one time, I think it was Jim Brewer saying that him and Tracy Morgan one time were trying to get Wolf Earl to break character. <laughs> and he just would not break character no matter what. So then they said they just started beating the shit out of Wolf Earl and body shot him. <laughs> said they weren't punching him in the face, but they were body shotting him, just beating trying the shit to get him out to of break him. Break character? Yeah, he would not break character. Even he was like physically being beaten up, he just would not do it. <laughs> because they said it was to the point where it was like actually very annoying. Because you yeah. would try and talk to Wolf Earl. And he would not break character. Right, right. It's like uh, uh, like uh, what people would say about Daniel Day Lewis on uh, right, like, yeah. On the set where it'd be like, like, "What's up, Daniel?" And he was like, "Valen." Like, yeah, he would, only, <laughs> he would only answer is like, "Yeah." They said that um, when he did like dances with wolves, like he fucking uh, or no, last of the Mohicans. When he did last, was it that last of the Mohicans? Was that the Indian one he did? Yeah, yeah, yeah the was Mohicans. The um, well, no, no, no. Like, the last of the Mohicans was you know that was about. Him in Ireland. Like, no, that was clearly the one about the Native Americans. <laughs> that was the one where he, yeah. yeah. So he, uh, they said that during the filming of that, he like lived in a teepee and he mm-hmm. built his own teepee and all this crazy shit. Well, you know, on the um, movie The Boxer, he, uh, he, he trained in boxing yeah. so rigorously that his, his boxing coach said that he could contend he, with, he a, could contend with a professional boxer in a yeah. real match. Yeah. Now that being said, Boxing had very little to do with that actual movie. It just happened to be right. a boxer. Right. <laughs> but, right. you know, it's cool that he had that kind of commitment to the role. Yeah, I do. Even though I think it's uh, definitely crazy, I do admire that type of commitment. Mm-hmm. It's uh, And it definitely shows through. I mean, I don't think Daniel Day-Lewis, has he ever been in what would be considered a bad movie? No, I mean, no. the guy's Daniel got an immaculate is... track. Now, oh, this brings up a good point. I did see a recently a movie recently that he was in. That I fucking hated. Was it my left foot? No. It was. Uh, <laughs> it was. Uh, it was called Phantom Thread. Okay. And we went and saw it. It got a really good Rotten Tomato score. Okay. So me, Ariana, and a couple of our friends. That, does, that just doesn't mean what it used to, does it? Has no. Rotten Tomatoes gone soft? No. I've been seeing Here, some here's what I'll, out here's, of them. here's what I'll say. Is I don't always strongly agree with their highly rated movies. Mm-hmm. Like if they give a movie a hundred, I might not give it a hundred. But I do think that their meter for shitty movies is pretty good. Like generally, if a movie gets below like a forty percent, it's probably going to be mm-hmm. pretty shitty. But it yeah, it's not as accurate as it used to be. I'll, I definitely agree with that. Um, anyways, this movie was called Phantom Thread. It was directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, the guy we were talking yeah, about we earlier, talking who did about. Magnolia and Boogie Nights and all that stuff. I fucking hated this movie. It's, it's a you know what that that uh, Paul Thomas Anderson style is. Uh, it's it's kind of hit or miss, yeah. Because it's very it's very like you you uh, I think you even used this word earlier. It's abrasive. Yeah, it's rough. And that sometimes works, but when it doesn't work, it's like stabbing you in the fucking eyes. When you're watching a movie that yeah. you don't like, that's, a, that's that style. Yeah. It's like, ugh. And look, don't get me wrong. There were elements of this movie that I enjoyed. There were, like, the the set design and the actual production and stuff like that. It was a very beautiful movie. You felt like you were in the time period that the movie took place in. 
it was just so light. I, I fell asleep. I'm going to be honest. I fucking mm. fell asleep. I haven't, I don't remember. The last time I fell, I do remember actually. Last time I fell asleep in a movie was when I saw Superman Returns in like 2007. With Brandon Routh. Yeah, and I hated worst, that movie. Su- the worst superhero movie ever made. Yeah. One of the worst movies ever made. Yeah, terrible. I fell asleep through that movie. So I fell asleep through this movie as well. Um, and it was just, and I woke up and it just, it just sucked. I mean, it wasn't, I don't even want to, I don't even know what to say about it. I, that, that could be one, that could be another one that we, uh, we, we can get into, uh, picking apart on another time. We would have to rewatch it. I couldn't go, I could give you this about Superman Returns. Brandon Routh is not good looking enough for them to have (laughs) filmed it the way that they did. It was basically a series of dramatic slow motion falling scenes where they were doing model angles on Brandon Routh's face. And that was yeah. it. That was all that movie and was for hours. They had Kevin Spacey as a weird Lex Luthor. And... Which I always uh, thought was interesting because as a young man, I thought Gene Hackman and Kevin Spacey looked a lot alike. Now, they may not. But when I right. was younger, I thought they did. There was something about those two people that I got them confused with each other. And Gene Hackman was the uh, was the Lex Luthor in, right. the, in the old one, right. like in uh, with well, uh, the seventies one. Here's the mistake they made: they did something really, really weird with Superman Returns as well. In that, the director Brian Singer had such a hard on for the original Superman Christopher Reeve ones mm-hmm. that he made this kind of like a sequel to those. He did, he did, he didn't which do did it not like, work. Yeah. How are you? The, how in the well fuck? that that was what tripped me out is like Superman Returns. From what? This is a reboot. Yeah, it's not yeah. a sequel. And then they, they so they made it like a sequel and it was like, What are you what are you guys doing here? Like it was a sequel, but it wasn't. It was weird yeah. because he like comes back and you're like, Well, what did you return from? They're not really telling you. Yeah. And then like Superman ends up having a kid at the end and the kid yeah, the has little powers. Kid with the, the and it's like that movie was a fucking mess. And thank God they redeemed themselves because did Batman begins that came out before that, right? Batman Begins. I or was think, that after? It was. I think it was, it was somewhere near around that time. It might have been before, but it, it was close. Yeah, because I think Batman Begins came out in like '05 or '06, and then I think that came out in '07. So it was. But but thank God though. So that movie fucking sucked. Mm-hmm. And then a year or a couple years later, they released The Dark Knight, and it was like, okay, now DC is mm-hmm. back on the map here. And The Dark Knight is, you know, in, arguably still the best comic book movie mm-hmm. ever. And in my opinion, I thought uh, Man of Steel was fucking awesome. I thought it was. A, yeah. I thought it was really good. No, you uh, know what? I, I agree. I didn't. I didn't love it, but it was infinitely better than Superman Returns. I'm not even going to compare those two movies. Yeah. They don't have any place at the same no, table. No, but they, uh, now, now, Man of Steel wasn't like one of my favorites ever, but I did no. think. It, but I did enjoy it. There was, but. You know what though? Here, here's my problem with Man of Steel, and it's the same. We talked about this on the last podcast as well. It's the same problem I have with a lot of DC's movies. Is that is, is this new line of movies that they've mm-hmm. done? There's just gaping plot holes that take right. me out of the movie. And for me, during Superman Returns, while there was elements of Superman or not Superman Returns of uh, Man, of Man of Steel that I really enjoyed. Um, so I really liked the tactile feel of like all the technology yeah. and Krypton. I thought that was really cool. Um, 
I actually didn't mind the fact that they had him kill Zod at the end. Mm-hmm. I thought because a lot of people were like, well, Superman would never kill him and this and that. It's like, fuck. It's just a, it's a movie, Superman. Yeah, it's not 1940s Superman. Yeah. Who gives a shit? If he has to kill the guy that, to save that, like that, millions of people, then whatever. They, they were adding a level of drama to it because, like, yeah, Superman doesn't kill, but he has to right. kill or more people die. That's right. like, that's the, that's, that, that's the wall that he's yeah, well, and against. they did a good job of Superman was clearly very conflicted yeah. about it. He like started he like he's like screaming and crying while he, he does it. Kill him. Like, yeah. yeah. So but the the plot hole that really drove me insane was where he doesn't save his fucking dad. Right. Superman is faster than a speeding bullet. None of those people would have seen him do it. And, yeah. It could have been. And you're telling me that he can't save his dad from no, a goddamn that, tornado? I that agree. right there, like, I was like, what the fuck? That was the equivalent to the uh, scene we talked about last time in Justice League where they now, dig I, up zombie Superman. Right. Yeah, yeah. That was, <laughs> but I will say this about that. Well, the way they kind of, like... Um, the way they kind of made sense about that. Yeah, fast Superman's fast and speeding bullet, whatever. But he, it shows him later discovering his powers. It shows him later building up his powers. Like, he wasn't really, like, the... So he didn't know at he the time that he yeah, was... He, right. he probably didn't know how fast he was. He couldn't fly. He couldn't do it. He would have been, like, you know... Still probably could have done it. I, that's what I was going to say. Now, I... Yeah. Now, if, if that's the way they explained it, okay, good. But that was just wasn't the right way to have yeah. his dad go out. Because it made Superman, it really made his character just look chicken shit. Like, it made him look ballless. Yeah. You know what I mean? I get that. Not that yeah. I need to have, I don't need, I don't need Superman to have Batman's balls. You gotta give him some, give him some choice nugs down yeah. there. Give him just something. something. like, yeah, something. <laughs> Save his goddamn something, dad, something to, something to make him, make him more than just his powers. Like, that's the whole point of superheroes, is like, they got these powers that give them an advantage. But right. if it's just the powers that give them an advantage, they're not really that interesting. Yes. They gotta have some fucking balls. Yeah, and for Superman, okay. Now, I was never a huge Superman fan growing up. But when I did start to delve into Superman a little bit within the comics, the things that fascinated me about Superman were always kind of the mythology of mm-hmm. Superman when they would start to explore like the Kryptonian race. Yeah. And... Have you seen the show Krypton yet? No, I haven't. It's pretty good. Is it? I like yeah, it. I it's saw a, previews for it. It's but I haven't I, watched I, it yet. I, yeah, I don't think it follows any kind of. Uh, I did watch Smallville. I was like obsessed with. I Smallville. never got into Smallville. I never Smallville. Watched it. I love. Well, it was kind of like a teen. It started off as like a villain of the mm-hmm. week teen drama, but yeah. as you got later into the series, they started to introduce like members of the Justice League, and they started okay. to. So I really enjoyed Smallville. Um, and actually, Smallville has the best Lex Luthor. Smallville's yeah. version of Lex Luthor. Uh, they had Michael Rosenbaum play him. I think I remember him. He, yeah. He's a fucking awesome Lex Luthor and then they have the guy they had play his dad Lilo Luthor is like they that if there's one thing Smallville got right it was casting mm-hmm. because the the guy they had even play uh, Tom Welling the guy they had played Clark Kent he was yeah. probably my favorite Superman too he was a really good Superman yeah and, I remember uh, he had that Superman look. I never watched yeah. the show, so I don't. I the, like. I yeah, just remember show, seeing it, the character. The show got a little outlandish with some of the, the plots and storylines and some that, of the writing was like, later on. But uh, that was the, still, the casting was on point. That was still old school CW, wasn't it? Like, yeah, yeah it, was, it no. You actually, when it first started, because it, it started in like one so it was on WB when it first. That was started. yeah, that, but that was old school. And then CW, they, yeah, they converted like, over it became to, CW. Right, that's right. what I mean. Right, I yeah. tell you, I, I drove a lady uh, the other day who was uh, she worked for the CW. No way, so really? she was asking me all my questions about. I was like, "Well, you know, Crazy. I'm like a huge superhero fan." She was like, 
she was like, well, tell me all about it. What do you think about our shows? I was like, I watch every single one of them, but I think they're God fucking awful. <laughs> like, yeah, they really, <laughs> the quality is not uh, She was like, far. really? What do you think about Black Lightning, our new one? I was like, oh, it's great. It's terrible. But yeah, like, I, think, I, like, I dude, still watch it. Okay, that's another weird thing. Let's touch on that because Black Lightning has a uh, 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. What? And I see Black Lightning. I just see the oh, dude's, dude. I just see the dude's costume. I'm like, this is dog it's shit. It's awful. Yeah, his costume sucks. The acting sucks. Um, they are doing this really weird thing about like making everyone who is on the show a superhero. Like... Which they've been doing that on all the all the shows. Yeah, That's yeah. Like really weird. Like everybody eventually yeah. gets powers and yeah, it's very strange how they do that. I, see, uh, I'm not a fan of that. I don't like when they do that. You no, know? because it takes away the exclusivity of the fucking hero. Well, it was oh. kind of like, did you watch Iron Man three? Yeah. At yeah. the end of Iron Man three, when Pepper Potts yeah, gets powers, comes, I, I thought that I was that ruined that. that. I thought that I was actually, so corny. I liked Iron Man three because I liked how it, it was a it was a shift in gears. It was more psychological. It was less about fighting villains and superpowers. Right, right. It was more about Tony Stark finding himself and being like, "I'm a hero because I'm a genius. Yeah, I'm a no. hero because I have all this going for me, not just because I have a fucking metal suit." Yeah, and. He's like, I'm a fucking problem solver, and I'm a, I'm a master engineer. And yeah, then when it flips around and Pepper Potts is fucking saving the day with yeah. their superpowers. They, they fucked it up. Yeah, yeah. they ruined and it. That just like end. really took me out of it. Um, yeah, I don't know about... Yeah, they fucked it up at the end. Um, but yeah, Black Lightning's got Black 100 Lightning. on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, it's got 100. Me, I don't get it, man. Like, I just don't get it. Um, uh it's definitely uh, this. This may be a controversial way to look at this, but it's definitely riding the wave of the whole Black Lives Matter uh, movement. Uh, yeah, well, it's very, very. Have you watched any episodes of it? Uh, I've seen like clips. I Basically, it. every single episode is is just a. Uh, it's well, it, that does make one wonder um, because you know we all know how uh, how uh, Hollywood is. And that does make one wonder if part of the the praise comes from not wanting to criticize. Appear bigoted. Yeah, yeah you don't want to. You exactly. don't want to criticize something like that. Um, yeah, uh, it's yeah, it's basic. It's uh, it, it's DC's Luke Cage for sure. Like, right. Well, see, I, Luke Cage, I. Uh, I liked though that had some style to it. That was like Luke Cage had some style. It was kind of like a it was like a superhero version of like The Wire or like you know what I mean. It had some I don't know. It just had some. Uh, I, I feel like Luke Cage uh, was a little heavy on the racial thing too for for a while. I, I didn't I didn't get that into Luke Cage, so I, I missed a lot of episodes of it. But well, I don't um, mind when they touch on the racial stuff because I, it would be it would be like disingenuous to say that that's not an element. Of no, it. for sure, for sure. But I, I, agree. I don't like, like when they focus when they make it like because it takes you out of it when they make it a focal point. You know, right. when they really focus and on it so much. That's that's what I mean. That's exactly what I'm talking about. I felt like when when I watched Luke Cage at first. I only watched a, a few episodes, my first attempt at watching it, and I remember that being like a heavy focal point for the few episodes I watched. Yeah. To the point where it was like, all right, that's great that you feel this way. I just am not, I'm not, uh, I'm not drawn into it. Yeah. And same with uh, Black Lightning. I think we're almost done with the season of Black Lightning, and I've watched just about every episode, and it's the same thing. It's like, Every single episode is about black people being persecuted on the streets, and it's like, and I, I, I get it that that matters, but it's also like, we're watching a superhero show. We're not. Right, you want it to be like, a superhero, yeah. and you know, hey, if you guys, um, 
if anybody out there disagrees with these points and you want to uh, comment on the video and say, you know, if if you happen to be, you know, African American and you think that we're kind of off base here and we're just a couple white dudes who don't get it, please comment and let us yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, seriously. I would like to hear it from. We would like to hear it from your perspective. Yeah. Um, because we, because Matt see, makes from, a really good point. Is we are a couple white dudes. <laughs> this, this is not our our really our most appropriate place to uh, to comment on. But these are these are the the viewpoints from our perspective. Yeah. So and I, if and we I can, just, and I just would like to say it doesn't have anything to do with the fact that it's just like Black Lives Matter or whatever. It, I don't like anything being beaten into my head repeatedly. True. So it could be anything. Yeah. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean, that's not really the point. It's more just the point. Okay, yeah, I get it, but let's focus on like the superheroes yeah. now. Let's, like I'm let's... literally, I'm trying to watch the show because I like superhero shit. I don't need a moral lesson on right. Anything. And it's and there's an example. There's examples of doing that right. Like take like the X Men, uh, the X Men cartoon from the '90s. Mm-hmm. Like the whole underlying thing of the X Men in a lot of Marvel comics has always been. You know, they're taking characters that are just like the, in, in the world of the X-Men, the mutants are mm-hmm. kind of persecuted and they're kind right. of bigoted against. It's actually, they, that, that, it, it's a it's an example of uh, racial prejudice. Right, yeah. They, yeah. And they, they did that on purpose. Like they've done interviews with Stan Lee and Jack Kirby and some of those guys who worked on those comics. Um, and they talk about how they, they wanted to make it a point to do that. And they did it on purpose, but they did it in a way where, like we said, they didn't beat you over the head with it. And it wasn't... It wasn't all about that. It was just one aspect of the story. It, it was an underlying background. Right. And it, and, yeah. it, and it was able to be used more powerfully because it wasn't the subject matter, but it was a constant background factor. It was like, right. while this is all going on, well, we're fighting villains and we're fighting persecution. We're fighting for rights and struggling to to be recognized as equals in society. Uh that just happens to be what's going on. They, right. they are these these people who are who are persecuted, and, right? You know, and it's almost like a, to me, it's almost kind of like a less is more type thing. Um, yeah. yeah, you know, when you when you when you when you try to hammer a point in too much, um, then it almost kind of detracts from the the point itself. You know, a little um, I don't know subtlety goes a long way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would say. Um, Speaking of superheroes, I'm like so fucking excited that Infinity War is coming out in a week. I feel like a little kid. I've yeah. been this excited for a movie and I don't know how long. And my wife constantly makes fun of me for it, but hey, you know, the 16-year-old me would be have raging boners all the time over this. Yeah, no, for sure. This is like, well, this is one of the biggest events in um superhero movies. Uh we we were actually talking about this before we started recording today how uh this is the culmination of what was started when they first started making these uh, these modern age Marvel movies. They essentially have been building up to the point where they're getting ready to start the Infinity Wars uh, series. Um, they were getting ready to introduce all the Thanos and all that shit, and then they were going to make this happen. And uh, now we're we're finally reaching that point. Yeah. Now, do you think that uh, do you think that when they finish the Infinity War series, what's it going to be like a three part thing? You think? No, I think it's two part. Two part. Uh, all right. They have yeah, Infinity War one and two. Um, I think they're going to call the second one something different because apparently, from what I've heard, the behind the scenes kind of rumors are that they're supposed to be two very distinctly kind of different movies. 
Really? Yeah, and I think that the uh, the second one, I know that there's been rumblings that there's going to be a lot of like time travel involved. Okay. Um, so which I think is super and kind of universe bending stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think they're talking about the idea of introducing like a multiverse, which so, I think could be super super interesting. Here's here's where I'm at with this. Now I I, I might have my my comic book history off a bit but what i what i recall from researching this back in the day because I, I never actually read I, I i know the i know the story a bit but i never actually read the infinity gauntlet series and was it like a six-part comic yeah it was, like, it yeah. was six or seven parts i actually have every issue of it um, I, I first got infinity gauntlet when yeah. i was like 12 I went so and the, it. so the infinity gauntlet series that's mm-hmm. where thanos comes and basically kills everybody right um I don't even honestly. I don't even remember. Well, yeah, that's that's the series Infinity yeah. Gauntlet. So it's Infinity Gauntlet, and then the Infinity War series. From what I remember reading, was when he goes, "Oh, all right, I fucked up and killed everybody, and now my mistress Death is like not down with that because she doesn't have anybody else to take." Yeah, I think and in, like and that's where he goes back and like basically like re- reverses all the damage he did and brings everybody back. And I thought that was what the Infinity War was like something to do with that, but I, I I'm not really sure about that. You know what? I don't even remember. I think um, I don't know if because uh, they had a few things that they did that were titled Infinity something or another infinity things i just know well, that like like the like the porn we were talking about coming up with where uh we use the infinity condom to, <laughs> <laughs> to fuck Thanos with. it's got uh, all these gems encrusted around like the base of the cock <laughs> so the uh yeah the original infinity gauntlet was yeah thanos comes down and he wants to imp- and they're what i do know is that they're basing infinity war kind of loosely on infinity gauntlet okay so that's 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 our first little discrepancy yeah. there. Um, I don't remember specifically like the titles that came after it, um, but I do know that that's what they're basing it on. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, it's it's interesting though because uh, there's there's apparently what they're saying is that there's a lot of things that are going to change after this. Um, you know, supposedly we might get some character deaths. A lot of people are speculating that uh, Captain America is gonna gonna bite it. Um, some well, other his, people. His contracts up. His so. contracts up. Same thing. They're saying Robert Downey Jr. Thor. They're what they're the kind of the the idea is they're they're the, what they're saying is that this is gonna kind of end one era of the Marvel universe and well, usher in a new one. That was actually what I was gonna ask you when I when when I was saying when we get done with this series, do you think they're gonna flip it and start a new? Um, start a new thing or do you think uh they're just gonna go from that and then after they're done with uh thanos in in the infinity gauntlet series everybody's gonna fight galactus or something like (laughs) where are we gonna go with this ideally that's what i would like to see happen in some ways i definitely want to see a real true representation of galactus not like big, uh, not that shitty not the uh, fantastic, fantastic four, four so yeah, rise of the silver he's a fucking fart cloud a fucking gas cloud um, no galactus was so much more of an interesting like he was. character than that, like that that for you for those of you guys who don't know who galactus is there's this whole kind of cosmic universe of the marvel mm-hmm. aspect of the marvel universe that was kind of really created by jack kirby 
who so, would do these big, crazy kind of a techno slash cosmic mm-hmm. hybrid characters. And Galactus was one of those. And he would do uh, the Celestials and the Silver mm-hmm. Surfer. And it was just this really weird kind of psychedelic universe. But it was it was fascinating, though. It was, too. It yeah. It was very deep. It and, was. Uh, like, psychedelic's a really good way to describe it, actually. Um Thor Ragnarok actually had a lot of that in it. Mm-hmm. It had some of that, you know, it was very Jack Kirby. Mm-hmm. Um, Galactus, though, I don't know how good the chances are that we will see him because he is owned by Fox right now. Is he? Yeah. yeah that's why and they made he, that shitty he, movie. He, he falls fantastic. Now, <laughs> yeah, well, and that's the problem is that a lot of the those Jack Kirby characters, those galactic characters, they fall under the Fantastic Four category. Um, so by default, those characters are owned by Fox. Um, so that's the, kind of the bummer, really, there, is that a lot of Marvel's best characters are in the hands of other film production companies. And they don't have rights to them. Just just the fact that the characters that have so much potential, yeah. you know, that's all. Yeah, it's, well, and it's a, it's a good thing in a way because Marvel was forced to take its B-listers and turn them into A-listers, and now, um, you know, they can... Hopefully, at some point, they um, that there's rumors that they they might be making a deal to purchase Fox. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they can acquire those characters and they can have the Silver Surfer come in and Galactus mm-hmm. come in, you know that's opening up a whole another kind of you know dimension. Have, have you uh, have you read any uh, any of the stuff that's going on in the comic book universe for like Iron Man nowadays? No, like in the more recent stuff. No. You know about Superior Iron Man? I know that about that, like, where he has that crazy suit. Or, where or, like, so uh, they had this, uh, they had this big fight with uh, I can't remember who it was. It might have, it might have been Galactus. Mm-hmm. Uh, There's this big thing where like all the Marvel universe was like fighting with Galactus, and then uh, this big fucking paradigm shift happened where like uh, Tony Stark was turned into this kind of like semi evil guy. Um, uh, Carnage was uh, turned sane, and uh, so they just like yeah, Carnage. Wow. Carnage and Deadpool were were both turned into like sane characters. Oh man, you can't do that. That's but on. no, it was a, it was a complete paradigm shit. Oh, they wow. just switched everybody up. They turned a bunch of uh, villains into heroes, and heroes into villains. And this is what I thought was really cool. I started reading up on what's going on in Superior Iron Man again. Anybody who is a bigger Iron Man fan than me. Which there are a lot of you because I'm not a huge Iron Man fan. I just thought this was really interesting what was going on. Uh, feel free to comment, correct us, tell us what's going on. But I thought this was super cool where um, uh, Tony Stark comes back from this whole ordeal. And he uh, he took that extremist uh, stuff and he, mm-hmm. and he created this um, – he created like this extremist app and made it like – where it costs like a hundred dollars a day to have the app on your phone and stuff. And like people, he creates this, uh, this media frenzy with it where people are like committing crimes and stuff to get enough money to have this app on their phone. Cause it just basically makes them socially superior to other people. And it gets so bad that like he, he's instigating violence on the streets with his, uh, with his, with his media propositions and where people are like, like assaulting each other for not having the app and they're like you're you're like fucking scum if you don't have it and they're like beating up homeless people in the streets and so it's this really weird thing 
where he's uh, become this this uh, this political villain, mm-hmm. but he also is. Um, he still saves people. Like he'll right. fly by a burning building and he'll pull a guy out of it, but then he'll still drop that guy like a hundred feet to where he breaks both of his legs. Right, right. But he saved his life, you know. Right. And you know who's uh, you know who is his uh, who is his opposition in this? Who? Fucking Matt Murdock, bruh. Wow. So yeah. what did they turn Matt Murdock into? Matt Murdock's the same. He's still Daredevil, and he's like trying to stop Tony Stark. He's like rolling up in his city, and he's like, hey man. Get real, so, get real. You're fucking it, around with people. So is it through like? Is he trying to stop him through like a like litigation or something like that? No, or? he's like he's trying to stop him the way Daredevil stops people. He's beating wow. him up and stuff. So here's what happens though. This is really cool. Matt Murdock is putting the beat down on Superior Iron Man and uh, gets him like gets him like stuck. And I don't remember exactly how he how he accomplishes this. But uh, Tony Stark ends up giving him like an injection of extremis, which cures uh, Matt Murdock's blindness. Uh. And he start, but like to keep his blindness uh, at bay, he has to get continuous shots of uh, of extremis like daily. So that's what Iron Man is like holding over his head. And there's like a really cool, there's a really cool uh, cover art. Mm-hmm. Of uh, of of Tony Stark in his superior Iron Man suit, just like with his feet kicked up over over uh, Daredevil's back, like fucking uh, like he's an Ottoman or something. It's like <laughs> it's a trip. <laughs> like, that sounds really really good. I want to because I haven't read any of like a lot of uh, the newer um, superhero stuff in comics. No, I know. So like, I want to check I, that out. Yeah, like what got me into that was like I, I was playing that um, I was playing that Marvel game on my phone and I got Superior Iron Man and I was just like I wonder what this is all about. Right. So I started looking it up and uh, yeah, and I, I read all about that and that supposedly from from the articles I was reading, it was relatively recent that that in in the uh, development of the comic world that that's going yeah. on. But yeah, I thought that was super cool. Yeah, because I think they debuted that armor like a few. Maybe a few years ago yeah. or something like that. Yeah, that does sound very interesting. I want to check that out. As comic book fans, that that sounded like a really interesting like yeah turn of events for me. Like, yeah, yeah comic books are just crazy. <laughs> they really crazy. are. It's just like the craziest, weird little. If you could, they I've I've seen a lot of like lists online. Um, like I've seen a couple on Cracked, and they they'll have like you know a list of like top batshit crazy mm-hmm. moments in comics and there's just so many ridiculous how about, issues of comics how about ever. when how about when uh the during um during the marvel versus dc wars uh the amalgam happens and fucking batman and wolverine get fused they, yeah. yeah like how about what that weird, for a trippy uh, thing yeah, that was such a weird character. Or Sabretooth and the Joker. Yeah, and they make uh, the Jackal. Yeah, yeah, they had the, that. Was a very strange. Uh, what it, and that that's kind of odd too because you couldn't even imagine that happening now, like Marvel and DC coming together. And yeah, it's, but I know that it, during that time period, um, they were both kind of experiencing, uh, you know, financially a little more dire straits so mm-hmm. they were willing to collab on stuff like that dude and why not it was so cool when they did I like know. those were that was a great series one who would have ever imagined now marvel is it's like the biggest powerhouse in hollywood 
it's insane. What a trip, right? Yeah, because yeah. I remember remember how shitty like you know the best thing like they had Blade, which was okay. Blade was good. Blade was great, man. Um, like they it, had Blade, a great, no Blade was great in a shitty way, man. Yeah, like, yeah, it was. Blade, Blade was that exactly my kind of like. I'm hungover and I don't have anything to do today kind of movie. Yes, like. yes. And like, have you ever heard, there's this really funny clip on um, that they have online where Patton Oswalt, who was in Blade, is talking about all the crazy shit Wesley Snipes would do on set. And you <laughs> no. had to address him as Blade. Yeah. And like, Ryan Reynolds tells a story about how the first time he wet, he wet, he met Wesley. First Wes- time he had a wet dream about <laughs> Wesley Snipes. The first time he met Wesley Snipes on the set of Blade uh, 3, I think it, he was in with him. The first time he met him, um, Wesley Snipes tells him, uh, "Hold your breath; it'll last longer." Like it's like he really <laughs> thought it was. He really thought he was like the Blade character. Hold your breath; it'll and then, last longer. So there's a scene that I love from the first Blade where um, he's talking to uh, Blade's talking to um, uh, Deacon Frost at the end of the movie, mm-hmm. and he goes, "Some motherfucker's always trying to ice skate uphill." uphill. <laughs> Supposedly, that was actually not even in the script. That was just it something Wesley like something. Snipes would say. And they threw it in the movie because it was funny. I want to point out about Deacon Frost that the best way that he could really incite the anger of uh, of Blade, the way that he could really be like, this will make you want to fight me, Blade. It's like, it's me, Steven Dorf, and I've been banging your mom this whole time. <laughs> Fucking, I, if I was Blade, I'd flip out too, man. <laughs> yeah, he, you know what? And he already had a lot to be angry about. Yeah. I mean, just think of how, how, how angry of a guy. Like, really, what were the vampires doing that was so wrong in that movie? They Dude, were just Blade, partying in a yeah. club, having a good time, enjoying their lives, and Blade just goes in there. Were they even murders. killing people? They were just like... Uh... I think they would just, like, if somebody who wasn't a vampire showed up to their club, they would convert them. Yeah, like, they were they were drinking people. They had, like... Homies who who just came and gave them blood because they it, wanted to be vampires. Yeah, and was it and like, a bad thing to to be a vampire in that movie? I mean, they seemed like they lived a pretty sweet life. Like they vampires seem to have it going the time on. Yeah, had a, had a good time. Blade was just kind of the ultimate party pooper. Blade was kind of a douchebag if you really think about it. Like he <laughs> now, really, yeah. How how interesting would it be? Here's a scenario for you. How interesting would it be if in Avengers: Infinity War? Blade shows up. <laughs> if when they go, yeah. What if they do this multiverse thing and you get cameos from like Blade and Wolverine and like all well, these other? How weird would that? Theoretically, be? they're supposed to do that, aren't they? Because um, theoretically, Thanos fights the entire Marvel roster. He takes on everyone who is a Marvel superhero. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Like. So I mean that would include Blade, that would include all the X Men. There's even a scene in the comics where like where fucking Wolverine's making his move on him. Yeah. And yep. gets now fucking vaporized. Speaking of Wolverine, I recently saw something online that I found pretty interesting. Sure. Apparently Hugh Jackman was spotted on the set of Avengers Four on location in Wolverine Garb. Okay. Um, so the speculation is he might be making a little cameo in Avengers. Uh, or, or maybe he was just kind of hanging out. And he thought, maybe. if I'm going to be here, I'll be dressed like Wolverine. <laughs> that, that, yeah, that's a possibility. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know what? 
But uh, I'm gonna have everybody call me Logan, and I'm gonna hang out. Maybe it here. was kind of like a Make a Wish thing, and they were all really big Wolverine fans. And Hugh Jackman was like, "You know what? I'm just gonna show up in in <laughs> costume. Cool. I'm gonna make Robert Downey Jr.'s day." People will to, like this. I'm trying to find this photo, but I did see it the other day. They had a photo of him on set. Um, so I don't know. That that would be pretty cool. Um, I don't know how much I would like that though, because you know what? I was really a big fan of the way they had him go out. In I a, thought that was perfect. I thought yeah. Logan was a really good end to uh, the Hugh Jackman era. We saw that in theaters together. It was yeah, yeah, it was and it really, was it was, was a like, special moment. It was it was, great. Su- it was surprisingly emotional. It like, was. I, I never I never realized how much I loved that character. I mean, he just he's such a good Wolverine. Well, Hugh Jackman he, is really he, what he was such a good Wolverine because he created that wolverine that wolverine didn't exist outside of hugh jackman no there was like the character wolverine the comic book character and the cartoon character the 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 quintessential original wolverine character is not really like what the hugh jackman wolverine is yeah but he was dope he worked it was yeah we liked it he did his own thing and uh and watching that character die on screen and essentially like retiring that character because that's really the only time we've actually seen wolverine die it's a nearly yeah it's It's seven and it's like 17 years that he played that character yeah that was like a large part of our lives that was a substantial part of our lives well i was when i saw the first x-men i was 10 years old i i will never forget the first time i watched that scene where they go into like the uh they go into the that little like biker bar and he's yeah, in the cage. Yeah, he's having an MMA like, fight. Yeah, or he's having just yeah. a like like a chicken wire fucking MMA fight, yeah. and it's like that yeah. shit was intense. That was crazy. Was. Well, that was the first time really because before that you had uh, you had Batman, you know Tim Burton's Batman's and the Joel Schumacher one and all that bullshit, and then you had uh, the original Superman, the Christopher Reeve one. Um, but X-Men was the first time that they really actually like took the characters kind of seriously mm-hmm. where they actually tried to make it, you know, I, now obviously look, it's a comic book movie, so you can only get so serious, but they actually tried to make them like real characters. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time where, um, you know, really what they did with those characters in that movie influenced what they did in the comic too, because after kind of giving the X-Men the all-black outfits, getting mm-hmm. rid of the yellow spandex, they converted over to that in the comics. And uh, as a uh, byproduct of that, they had a lot of uh, really good comics that they produced from that. You know, they had the Ultimate X-Men, they had the new X-Men. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of just changed everything. And it changed, it, it, it's funny too, because uh, the way that Hugh Jackman portrayed him, it changed how they depicted him in the comics. Yeah. He forever changed that became, character. He became it, more of that well, type of Wolverine. Yeah, it added a new layer to it. It made it, it actually made the Wolverine character a lot more interesting because prior to that, he was a little more one-dimensional. And he was kind of just this ferocious. Like, mm-hmm. you remember Wolverine on the X-Men cartoon? They had this really weird, and I didn't know this growing up, obviously, but they had this really weird thing where they weren't allowed to actually show Wolverine stabbing anybody because they thought yeah. it would be too violent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you go back, and even though he was by far the most popular character, everybody had toys of him, if you go back and watch the X-Men cartoon, it's just Wolverine getting the shit beat out of him constantly. <laughs> the only time he's able to do any damage, go back and watch it. The only It'd time, be like when he's fighting robots. When he's stuff, fighting sentinels. Be like sentinels. The only time like, he can do actually dice something is a sentinel. Mm-hmm. Any time he gets near a human character, he retracts his claws and then he gets punched or something. Mm-hmm. And like, um, 
so that was a really good show don't get me wrong i love the original oh, x-men yeah. cartoon that's like one of the best of all time, but, yeah but uh it's interesting though when you go back and watch it because you wolverine just looks like a buffoon almost when you go back and watch it you know until he fights some sentinels until he fights a sentinel until they give him a robot yeah something something non-organic for him to to sink those claws into yeah well and that was you know that's still to this day when wolverine finally gets to go berserk in the second x-men and just start like chopping up soldiers Uh that was like the best when you finally really get to see wolverine go off on screen yeah this is great uh it was great seeing that on um I like that on the second X Men movie when uh, when those guys break into the 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 school like uh, Major Striker's guys break yeah. into the school yeah. and like and Wolverine just goes off the fucking rails and he's like stabbing people and stuff. And they didn't. It, it was still like I think that one was still PG thirteen, so it wasn't. Um, they weren't showing a lot of blood or anything. It was very very mild, but it was still it still had that that animal intensity. But when they got to do that as an R rated thing on Logan. When, yeah, like, he's like cutting it, people's arms off yes, and, and like stabbing yeah. people in the face, and you see like the you see the 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 blades come out the back of the yep. guy's head. It's all shit. And, and, and it, it, it was bittersweet. It was we both said this when we left Logan that it was bittersweet because you felt like you finally got to see the Wolverine that you've been wanting to see mm-hmm. for years, but it was like you only got that that one movie with right. it was a bummer that you didn't get to see that more they finally gave it that r rating i don't know why they're so afraid of that r rating like to, you know, at least to, with with deadpool coming out that kind of opened the floodgates mm-hmm. it opened the doors to allow them to do that to, to but, be honest i think that um i think that the comic book audience grew up yeah i think that i think that it followed the the same like age line i think well, like we were kind of into that shit when we were kids and it got popular in our generation and as we kind of grew up it grew up with us and yes. i think i think um probably before us it was less popular probably yeah. after us it was less popular and then the media evolved with this generation well, yeah and not only did the the comic book audience grow up but it was also the uh just like the world because like I don't think parents are as afraid of taking their kids to an R-rated movie. Right. You know, it's different now. Because a kid, he wants to, he just watch YouTube videos all yeah. day where they're cussing constantly and doing whatever. Um, so you can't really. It's pretty much impossible in this day and age to for a parent to filter out their kids' yeah. content. C- you can't censorship do it. is very very different. I mean, they could no. watch fucking Jersey Shore on TV. Yeah. And see people banging and like you yeah. know yeah. So sure, it's not going to show their nipples, but like you know, there's two people rolling around under the sheets, like, yeah, talking dirty to each other, like yeah, and and they all they can really do now it's just it's just change things. So I don't think that our rating is it's not what it used to be. Like I don't think it's as important mm-hmm. to people. Um, and that Deadpool kind of proved that because fuck that movie broke all kinds of records. Oh yeah, and dude. It just which the have you seen the trailers for that? The new one? Yeah. It looks great. It really does. They like that looks like the truest, most comic booky yeah. X Men movie so far. Did you uh did you ever play the Deadpool video game on PS4? No, but I remember watching I'm so lame. I never played it, but I remember watching it on YouTube. Yeah. Like somebody play through it. Yeah. Dude, it was yeah. really fun. It, it yeah. had like it was a it was a really basic beat 'em up game. It didn't really it wasn't that complicated, it wasn't very hard. 
with the overall like story that you follow through it was so comic booky it was so like down with the comic book style well like, that that was fascinating too because that was kind of like the first um that was before deadpool would really like appeared in anything and usually the video game would like he'd been in maybe a few cartoons and stuff and then the, they, they had maybe x-men origins or well the first place i saw deadpool in was um it was on like the ps2 it was at like marvel right yeah, marvel, yeah. like that the aerial view game i can't remember what it was called it was like marvel champions or marvel right right marvel alliance or yeah. something like it was mostly x-men yeah uh but on different levels, they would have different sets of characters you can pick from. And Deadpool was one of them. And I was like, oh, that guy looks cool. He's like a red ninja. Yeah, he, like, he, yeah. he had a... That's that's definitely... The, the character design on Deadpool is really the the most winning quality. Mm-hmm. Because he just... He's got a really cool design. Like, yeah. I remember even as a kid when I first... It's funny. The first time I saw him as a kid was... Um, it was in a, a comic book that I had. And I just didn't even know who he was. And uh, I just thought he was cool because you just like had never heard of him. You know, yeah. you didn't. Nobody knew who that character was. Like I remember when I was in when I was in high school when I was like fourteen or fifteen. I had a Deadpool T-shirt, mm-hmm. and it was at this time. It's crazy now because there is so much Deadpool product. Right, like you have Deadpool on commercials. I literally like, have a pair of Deadpool underwear. Yeah. <laughs> so and at this time when I had this Deadpool T-shirt, there was literally one Deadpool t-shirt you could buy mm-hmm. and it was through this company called Graffiti Designs that was the only you couldn't I find think I recall Graffiti Designs they kind of had like they stuff have, like that they, Gra- yeah. Graffiti Designs was like the hardcore comic book yeah. fans thing um, and that, they was, had, that was where you would see things like yes, that like, yeah. yeah and they had one Deadpool t-shirt and then they had one Deadpool action figure that they came out with in the 90s and then they later came out with one in the uh, early 2000s mm-hmm. that I bought actually uh, for like you know six or seven dollars, and then I resold it like a year and a half ago for like a hundred fifty dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, so it ended up being worth a lot of money. Um, but uh, yeah, there was just no Deadpool anything, and it's cr- if you would have told me back then that this would be like the most popular fucking comic book character on the planet, I wouldn't even have thought it was possible. <clears throat> well, it, it was uh, it it until it came out and tested the waters and became the big media sensation that it is. Um, we couldn't have really known because Deadpool was so different from what was popular. Right. How it would like break the fourth wall and how it would be really, he was not like a hero. He was a very like wishy washy. His position was wishy washy, whether he was like a hitman or a, a villain or, or a hero. And I, I think I, I, I think a lot of people would find that hard to get behind. A lot of people would see that and be like, all right, I don't really know if I care about this character. And then they threw it out there. They made a movie and people just fucking loved it. So now we know. (laughs) Yeah. And it, it, uh, it, uh, well, he was unique in the sense too that, and they've, what they've done a really good job of with the movies is, you know, how they make Deadpool so meta and he's always Mm -hmm. making reference to, he's always breaking the third wall, you know? And he was like the first, um, I guess there was other characters to do it, but he does it all the time. And, um, you know, it was just like, it was almost like your it's comedy combined mm-hmm. with, uh, with the superhero genre. And it makes right. for a pretty cool, uh, pretty good character, I guess you could say. Yeah. Well, we've been going for about, <laughs> uh, two hours and 40 minutes almost here. So we want to, you think we want to wrap this up or you want to push for some more content?
Let's wrap it up. Let's wrap this up. All my right. Voice, my voice is starting to go. <laughs> I know. Me too. I'm feeling like my my coffee's drying my throat <laughs> out. I have a bunch of notes on other things that I wanted to talk about, but we'll, well, we'll let's have to save, get to that. We're, yeah. we're going to be going up to LA for sure, so yeah. let's save some of them for that. So, uh, yeah, this is a <clears throat> recording in, once again in my mother's living room in uh, Santa Maria. <laughs> uh, so let's... Uh, Let's let's uh, reference our audience once again to our social media. You guys can find me at Bone Catron on Instagram or Facebook.com slash Bone Catron for my fighter fan page. Keep up with me and I will keep up with you. Mr. Lovato, please. You, you guys can find me at Brazers. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, you can find me at ML underscore intrinsic resistance dot, uh, dot com or, or sorry, ML intrinsic resistance. Intrinsic resistance dot com is my website. You can find me on Instagram at ML underscore intrinsic resistance. You can also that's my kind of my fitness page. You can also find me at Matt Reviews Media. For any of my movie, graphic novel, documentary, basically just my reviews on anything. And it has been a pleasure having you as our audience. This was a uh, this was a lot of fun. We we talked about a lot of cool stuff today. Uh, let us know what you thought about any of that. Anything you guys thought was controversial, uh, upsetting. We like to hear about all that. Anything you guys liked. We like to hear about that too. You feel free to stroke our egos on any platform you like. And also, if you guys want to, um, uh, you know, maybe even if you guys want to make requests for topics that you'd like to hear about, or maybe things you'd like us to discuss, um, that's kind of in line with the, uh, the what you can tell what our interests are. Please uh, feel free to shoot some uh, requests our way as well. Which I do want to make a note. We got uh, we did get some requests in the comments last time, and we didn't get around to uh, following up on. But we promise we'll make a, a yes. real effort this time. Yes. Sorry about that, guys. Yeah. Uh, once again, thanks a lot for joining us. This is Back and Bone. We're out. Bye bye.